everyone, it's me, Amanda, and this is episode 179 of Close Horse. It's the second half of the Close Horse Saves Halloween Extravaganza. Once again, I am joined by Maggie Green, the Halloween queen, as we work together to put the we back in Halloween. In this part, we'll be joined by two more amazing guests, Tolly and Anna. Tolly will talk to us about harm reduction and Halloween costumes. And later in the episode, Anna will talk about Halloween in Poland and why she was motivated to start her own Halloween magazine. Before we get started, I want to talk to you about something important, the word spooky. So last weekend, I released the first half of this series, uh, pretty close to midnight. It was a really long day of editing. And I woke up a few hours later to a message from a listener who was like, hey, I don't know if you know this, but the word spooky has racist origins. And this listener included some screenshots of a Newsweek article from 2020. Instantly, I felt terrible. I felt anxious. I felt bad. I feel like I'd made a big mistake. And I pulled the episode immediately. Most of you don't know me in real life. The vast majority of you don't. But one thing I do is I really overthink and research just about every decision I make. And that includes the inclusion of the word spooky in the Halloween episodes this year. And I'd actually been thinking and reading about that word since last year when it came up in the Austin subreddit. And you know, since then, I had done a lot of reflection on that and continued to read. And as we were prepping for these Halloween episodes, I did some more reading and thinking. I wanted to see what else was out there. And to be honest, there weren't a lot of things out there for me to reference to make a decision. But what I did read, a lot of Reddit threads, a couple articles, there's very little, like I said, out there. What I read left me feeling that it was okay to use that word. If you didn't know, the words spook and spooky originated from the Dutch words for specter or apparition, meaning a ghost, something scary. Spooky is the adjective version of the noun. And during the middle of the last century, specifically during World War II, white American soldiers began to use the version of spooky without the Y, to describe their black counterparts. And soon, here in the United States, lots of racists were adapting that slang into their own conversations. So the origins of the word spooky are not racist, but for a while there, it certainly was used as a tool by racists to make black people feel bad, to make them feel cowardly and less than. And that's not okay. I think for many of us, this is not the history of this word that we know. Goodness knows, over the past week, as I have been thinking about this so much, I can't help but notice it everywhere, in ads, in magazines, in blog posts, on billboards, in stores, on packaging. Most people do not know the history of this word, but language is always evolving. We are always growing and changing and trying to do things better. And sometimes that means walking away from a word that hurts others, even if it feels 
innocent to us, even if the history of it feels far away and not applicable to now. Regardless of your intention, when you use that word, it could hurt someone else, right? As I mentioned, I had been thinking about this word a lot since last Halloween. And as we were gearing up to work on these episodes, I was thinking about it again. I revisited the posts on Reddit that I'd consulted in the past. I looked for more posts, more opinions, more essays. There still aren't a lot of conversations out there about this, but that doesn't mean that it's not an important thing to think about. And ultimately, after doing all that reading and thinking, I decided, you know what, we're going to use this word. Like this, this is not a word that I want racists to steal from us. And by using it, we give them more power. And I wish I could say that I invented that, that logic on my own, but it was actually what I was reading over and over again. And so I made that decision and I stuck by it. But that changed. My, my thoughts on that changed pretty fast. You know, as soon as I got that message, I jumped out of bed and I was sitting on the couch sort of panicking. What should I do? What if I hurt somebody? You know, feeling, feeling like I'd made the wrong decision. Dustin came out and I was telling him about it. And I said, you know, here's why I made this decision. And I explained to him all the things that I had read. And he was like, well, I get that. But here's the thing. If someone is saying your behavior is racist, your use of a word is racist, why would you defend that? Why would you take the time to say like, no, let me explain that decision X, Y, Z? Because ultimately, if it feels racist, it probably is. And why would you defend it? You can't explain away racism. And he's right. You can't explain away hurting someone either, right? And that's something that I don't want to do. So I pulled the episode, moved a bunch of my morning meetings around, and got down to work pulling that word out of the episode. Fortunately, it was only in there six times, so it wasn't quite the project that I thought it would be. I let all the guests know what happened and that the episode would be back in a few hours. And Maggie and I talked about it. We talked about it at length. We have talked about it so many times in the past week, you know, wondering what we should do. And I think ultimately, here's my decision on it. As, as a white person, it's not my place to decide if this word is good or bad. But what it, it is my place to do is to not hurt people, to not make people feel bad, to not perpetuate racist language. And so I have removed any instance of the word spooky from this episode. And that's a decision I stand by. You know, we're all learning. Language is changing constantly. And I always try really, really hard to do the best that I can do because I don't want to hurt other people. This platform is a great privilege and it's also a great responsibility. And I always want to make sure that I'm putting the best of everything out there into the world. So I will tell you, I removed that word from this episode, but there are a couple instances that I could not remove. And that is in our conversation with Anna. Now, Anna lives in Poland um, and her connection to the word spooky is its more traditional origin. And the name of her magazine is Spooky Europe. So as you can see, it doesn't really work if I take it out of that part of the episode. So if this is something 
that you are uncomfortable hearing, I would skip that section. It's towards the end. Don't worry, we'll introduce it and you'll totally know when it's coming. You know, something that has struck me my entire life since I, since I was a child is how powerful words can be, right? When someone says good words to you, you'll remind yourself of them over and over again, replay them as often as possible. When someone says a lot of bad, hurtful words to you, you kind of also play those over and over again, maybe even more often than the good words, because that's how our brains work. And words matter. Words matter so much. And they matter here to me. So yeah, we're not going to use that word anymore on Close Horse. Okay, well, this is an extra long episode again. Don't worry, it's broken up in such a way that you can break it into little bite-sized pieces or you can be like me and listen to it all at once while you work or drive or clean the house or whatever it is that you do. But we have a lot to discuss today. So let's jump right in. Now we're going to talk about pumpkins, the produce item of the season, pumpkins, right? Um, Maggie, do you carve a pumpkin? Is that part of your routine? I have done it maybe a handful of times in the past, but no. Um, generally, and this is kind of silly and sad, but like for, for all the reasons that pumpkin carving is wasteful on top of that, um, I'm really introverted and... Our house, including all of our dogs, is not (laughs) child-friendly, not trick-or-treater friendly. So I've been, like, for the past several years since we've owned this house, like, wanted to maybe do something, but I've been afraid because I don't want it to be seen as an advertisement, like, hey, we're a place to come to to get candy, because we're not. We're not those not those people, unfortunately. (laughs) Right, right, right. No, that makes sense. I I mean— I have carved a pumpkin here and there, primarily because a child is involved. Otherwise, like, I get sad seeing them mold away, and it feels really wasteful. Although, I am the person who uses all the guts for different things. Yes, same. And pumpkin seeds, like fresh pumpkin seeds that you've roasted yourself, like, I'm starting to salivate just thinking about it. Like, I, I would gladly just, like... People could just show up in my house with like wheelbarrows full of of pumpkin guts and I would be delighted. I would be like in, I would make a year's supply of pumpkin seeds all at once, you know? So they're so much better when you roast them yourself than when you buy them. I do love pumpkin flavor. Like pumpkins in general, like using them in things is, is really fun. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and that's like, that's how the pumpkin became so associated with this time of year, right? It wasn't just like, random. It's because pumpkin stuff, this is when pumpkins are ripe and they are delicious. Uh, and they can be used for a lot of things, not just carving them up and throwing them outside. And I do get, a, I get less anxiety about pumpkins than I do about plastic Halloween costumes. So there's that. But we're talking about a really just like epic amount of food waste. 
And it's because people aren't thinking about pumpkins as food, right? Even though we can all agree that pumpkin flavored stuff is delicious. There's like a cognitive disconnect there or something. I, I can't I can't explain it, but when I see people out at the pumpkin patch, I'm like, yeah, that is a field that grows food, but you're not gonna eat this thing that you're buying, you know? And I think if we can reframe it that way, we can actually make this a less wasteful thing. Uh, in the UK, going back to this again, because for some reason the UK has done way more research into Halloween waste than the US, 15 million pumpkins are carved every year. So once again, we're talking so many more pumpkins here in the US than we add in Canada and it's even more. So many things that were grown to be food that are just becoming trash. What happens with pumpkins is they sit on your porch or in your window and they decay and eventually they go in the trash. Now, maybe you have a compost, so you throw it in there, but in general, most of this becomes trash. And statistics suggest that if every carved pumpkin from last year had actually been eaten, they don't need to eat the shell, the part that sits out, but they ate all the guts, the UK would generate enough food to create one bowl of soup for every person in the country. That's a lot of soup. That's like tanker trucks full of soup. A lot of hungry people yeah. that have food now, too. Yeah. Because the, the the ritual is you carve the pumpkin. Well, first you cut open the pumpkin, you scoop out all the guts, you throw it in the trash, you carve the pumpkin and put it outside. But really all the food you just threw in the trash, you know? So I'm here to tell you, one, there are a lot of uses for this. And yeah, it's a little bit extra work, but it actually kind of like, I don't know, it it makes you feel the vibe of the season even more. Once again, fresh roasted pumpkin seeds are incredible. Um, but the guts can be a lot of a lot of delicious foods. Like you suggested, Maggie, roasted pumpkin sausage soup with kale and garlic. I'm like salivating. That sounds so good. There's literally like one bowl of it left in our fridge. I did like meal prep last weekend and made a big batch of it and like portioned it out so we could eat it through the week. And there's there's one serving left. I can't freaking wait to have it. <laughs> Sounds so good. good. Pumpkin rolls, which my brother is a huge fan of. That's another thing you can do. Uh, all the desserts, pies, puddings, muffins, cakes, ice cream. I will tell you when you prepare pumpkin from an actual pumpkin that you are about to carve, it does require a little bit more like sort of processing puree because it's not like thready. It needs like you to get it in the blender, you know, um, but it's worth that extra step. Uh, also, fresh pumpkin tastes so much better than canned pumpkin. And I don't think I had fresh pumpkin until I was an adult. And I was like, whoa, these are like not even the same things. Um, there are about 1 million soup recipes out there, I would just say, for pumpkin soup. And I've made a lot of them. My personal favorite is just like some ginger, some nutmeg, pumpkin, vegetable broth, and coconut milk. So mm. I could eat that every day. That's 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 a jammer right there. It's, it's funny that you mentioned the texture. I just want to... I, I made a sacrifice to the Halloween gods this year. Like, my immersion blender, like a hand mixer that I've had for almost 20 years, <gasps> um, actually bit the dust while mid-processing this pumpkin sausage uh... soup. Um, but it's okay, right? Uh, unfortunately, it's not salvageable. It, it ran its life, uh, you know, ran its course. And I was able to find a replacement, actually an upgrade, technically, 
on Facebook Marketplace. So Yay! the one I had, <laughs> the one I had was secondhand, and the one I'm replacing it with will also be secondhand. So I'll be making plenty of soups this season for sure. I just, I my heart ached for you not having an immersion blender because if you are a soup aficionado, which I am, I know you are. Getting an immersion blender is like changes your soup game forever. Like I got mine as a wedding gift. And uh, every time I take it out to make some soup, I am just, I'm just so happy <laughs> that I have it. <laughs> it always makes creamy soups like the perfect texture. Yes. Um, yeah. So I'm glad you found one because like a life without an immersion blender, it's livable, but it's a little less joyful. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> So there's other stuff you can do with pumpkins, too, other than turning them into food. I mean, you can compost it, right? Um, it's totally fine for backyard compost. Um, some farmer's markets and community gardens offer composting services, too. So just look around. Uh, look in your community group. Look in your buy-nothing group. Someone somewhere is collecting pumpkins. Uh you should, if you're going to compost them, remove all the seeds because otherwise you're going to end up with surprise pumpkins next year. Uh, at our last house in Burdenhand, we had pumpkin and squash popping up everywhere, all over the yard. It was so wild. I was like, how did this, how did these seeds end up everywhere? And some really epic squash, actually. <laughs> um, but those seeds, they are hardy and they will plant themselves. And you, I literally had not touched any of these seeds that were growing. And then just one day there were massive pumpkins and squash there. So if you're not looking to start your own pumpkin patch, get the, don't put those seeds in your compost. Uh, you can use the pumpkin puree also to make a face mask or a body scrub, a whole natural one. Uh, the fruit enzymes that are in pumpkin are really great for your skin. There are tons of recipes out there. Um, you can also add the pumpkin to your vegetable scraps to make veggie stock. I personally have a huge pot of veggie stock on the stove right now. I use it for cooking everything. I like freeze it and I use it for cooking vegetables and soups and Anything in between, um, especially if you have like ceramic cookware, a little bit of broth prevents things from sticking. Just a little pro tip out there. Um, you can turn your pumpkin into a snack-a-lantern, which if I were going to carve a pumpkin this year, this is what I would do. You fill the pumpkin with seeds or bird food. Um, this is after maybe the jack-o'-lantern's been out there for a couple days and you don't want to use it anymore. You fill it with the seeds and the, or bird food and you like you can sort of put a little hanger on it with some string or sit it outside on something and squirrels and birds will come and eat from it and you'll feel really excited and you'll probably get lots of great I love uh, that. Instagram content out of it. Yeah. I might do that. Um, I'm also thinking it's great entertainment for your household pets. Like if you have cats, definitely you can watch the, the birds and squirrels. Like there's a window behind our bed and on the other side of it is a little tree. And a couple months ago, I put a, a little bird feeder just on that tree. And that is where like Brenda sits all morning to keep an eye on the situation. We've got squirrels and birds of all varieties showing up for her entertainment. She makes the weird like bird hunting sound, you know, like, <laughs> any, anyway, great idea. Fun for the whole family. Now, if you do that, your pumpkin can't be so far gone that it's like a gloopy mess because obviously the seed will fall through it. Right. Um, you can also cut up the remainder of your jack-o'-lantern and put it outside for birds, squirrels, foxes, deer, small mammals. It turns out we all love pumpkin. Um, and it's a great treat. Um, 
you could also give your pumpkins after you're done with them, after they've sort of started to like look not so great to any neighbors you have that have like chickens or other livestock. Some farms and farm sanctuaries also accept old pumpkins to feed their animals. So once again, probably someone in your buy nothing group is going to know about that. Um, And lastly, you could not accidentally grow pumpkins, grow them quite intentionally by planting the pumpkin seeds. Um, From what I've read, Bees love pumpkin flower nectar, so it'll be great for the bees. And then you'll maybe get some pumpkins next year. Um, when it comes to skipping pumpkins, if you are like, I got to have my jack-o'-lantern fix. My house is not, it's not Halloween without it. And I, unlike Maggie, want all the trick-or-treaters in the next, in the 20-mile radius to show up. Sounds like a nightmare. But if that's who you are, uh, you could make some more permanent pumpkins. You could paper mache. I always am like, what can we paper mache for this holiday? Because it's like kind of the most fun thing to do. It's easy for kids. You can paint it. Um, a great way to repurpose freaking junk mail and oh, stuff like that. Seriously. <laughs> gosh, I could, I could make a whole pumpkin out of like credit card offers and random car insurance things we get. Um, you could, instead of like having a three-dimensional pumpkin, you could just, uh, this is a craft project we did in elementary school once that has stuck with me, where you cut a pumpkin out of orange paper and you cut out like the face, right? However you would carve the pumpkin. And then you put uh, like yellow, like uh, saran wrap, like you've like colored yellow with uh, a pen, or you could, you know, get like yellow, like vellum or something and you put it over the eyes and stuff and then you tape it to the window and it's sort of like a pumpkin stained glass and the light comes through the eyes and the mouth and the nose and it's really Uh, dazzling that's cute (laughs) i love that idea so there's something um you could cut up all the windows that come on all that junk mail the plastic windows and color that with like a highlighter and glue that on there um or you could just like make some reusable pumpkins out of clay or some other medium Heck, go buy them and just like bring them out every year to be your pumpkin decor. The last thing I'll just say is that I experimented with this over the weekend and I feel like I've really mastered it. Uh, Everybody loves a pumpkin spice latte at this time of year, no matter who you say you are, how much you want to poo-poo it. It's delicious and it gets you, it gives you the vibe you need. And I actually made one myself from scratch. Um, You could use the pumpkin guts to do this or you could buy some pre-canned pumpkin too, whatever works for you. But it's really easy to make at home on your own and it tastes so much better. And you don't have to have like a disposable cup, you know? You are just like having it at home in your reusable cup. So that's another way in the world of pumpkins that you can be a little bit less wasteful. Okay, so, you know, we're here. We're putting the we back in Halloween. And we've talked a lot about how our costume choices can impact the planet and its people. And next, we're going to talk about how our decisions, our costume choices, have an impact on the people around us and how we can mitigate any harm that might come out of making the wrong decision with our Halloween costumes. And I'm really excited for all of you to meet Tolly, uh, a friend of Maggie, who is going to help us figure this out. So let's meet Tolly. All right. Uh, 
Tally, do you want to introduce yourself to everybody? Yeah, my name is Talisa Lobry. I use she, her pronouns, and I go by the name Tali. Um, I'm calling in from Mukilteo, Washington right now, and uh, I am a certified DEI practitioner, that's diversity, equity, and inclusion, and also an anti-racism coach. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to be here with the two of you. We're excited to have you here, and I'm so grateful to Maggie for making the connection. Maggie knows everyone. I know a lot of cats. That's about it. <laughs> so we're here to talk about Halloween today. So we have to ask you, of course, what do you love about Halloween? I love all things Halloween. It's so funny because I'm from Louisiana down in the South, and it was only once I moved to the West Coast that I realized so many other people love Halloween. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Makes sense. Yeah. Like, wow. I'm like, I'm with my people. So like, I just love the fall season that's happening. Right. The, the crisp air, the leaves are typically falling. Um, I love the fact that people get to um, express themselves with the different costumes. Children are typically happy. There's the giving (laughs) element of the candies and then the candy's good. And we always had these traditions where we would order pizza for Halloween. (gasps) Same! Just like a feel-good moment. And I think what I really love about it, and I found a lot of people, is that it's just fun and not so much like the other holidays where it's I don't know it's it's just fun it's this individual thing you don't have to be attached to any particular family or anything Mm -hmm. you just go out and have fun on Halloween so I absolutely love it it's just a time for laughter and smiling and sharing and having fun you know what I really like that you bring that up because I have always had a lot of anxiety about other holidays because it was kind of like I, in retrospect as an adult and with a lot of therapy, it was when my family would just break apart. Like Mm -hmm. I only have (laughs) bad memories of holidays like, you know, Christmas and Thanksgiving and Easter, which is like people fighting and being really stressful, getting yelled at, that kind of thing. But like Mm -hmm. that didn't happen on Halloween because it was just a totally different energy about that mm-hmm. holiday. You don't have to have a big meal, I think is a yeah. big part of it too, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so how do you get in the spirit for the season? What do you like to do to kind of get excited about Halloween? I don't really have to do much, to be honest. <laughs> um, I just need to know that October 1st is here and I'm like, yay, the season's here. Um, yeah, I just... I'm just happy. You know, I tend to, you'll see me walking around with different costumes just throughout October. I try to stretch it out as much as I can. Um, (laughs) I do a little bit of the decorating, but not so much, but um, Mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm just really in a good mood during this time. And everyone knows it. This is my holiday. I love that you, you mentioned family uh, and that this, this kind of holiday is unique compared to some others throughout the year. When I think about family, I think about like, chosen mm-hmm. family um and also cats amanda i know you're a big yeah. fan of cats <laughs> and tally you have you have a cat mm-hmm. a pretty special cat <laughs> when i think about halloween i know you just shared recently with me the two of you dressed as witches like you were both in costume which was yes. pretty damn cute you have to give us advice on getting a cat into a costume because <laughs> well 
like I told somebody else, um, the picture somewhat reflects her with her little witch hat on. But you know how they talk about how like real versus what <laughs> yeah. it looks like, like the real thing versus what. Trust me, she didn't have that hat on any longer than what it took for me to like <laughs> pin her down to take that picture. And so this year, I was like, I think I want to make you a black cat this this year, just to match my witch costume. So I don't. Know. We'll see. <laughs> Uh, I do get jealous of all every time I see a cat in a costume on social media because I but you're right it's it's probably one second and there was a lot of uh, Mm -hmm. other bad stuff before and after that's one thing I haven't tried with Cyrus yet um he like he (laughs) likes getting haircuts and baths and like like belly rubs Mm. which is all those things are kind of unusual so he might be the kind of cat that would rock a costume and enjoy it. I don't know. Maybe I'll try it and report back. Yeah, to y'all. I need. I need to know. I yeah, need to know for sure. Know. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I did some research into sort of like the history of Halloween because uh, you know I think we have a pretty universal experience about around what we what Halloween is for us. You know, it's candy and trick or treating and hanging out with our friends and costumes and. You know, it's 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 so fun, and you know, I'd heard I'd heard some rumors. Basically, be, we talked to uh, another guest, Anna, who lives in Poland, who was like, "Oh, Halloween is like not like that here," and you know, it's like a totally, it's not as popular, and it's just you know, sort of different. And I was like, "Huh? Like, how did we get to?" this world of trick-or-treating and fun costumes. And so I went down a rabbit hole of trying to learn more about that journey to where we are now. And, uh, you know, it it was really interesting. So I'm, I just wanted to share a little bit of that with both of you. So it all starts with the ancient Celtic ritual of Samhain. Although actually I just pronounced it wrong because it's really so win. <laughs> It was a festival celebrating the changing of the season from light to dark, a.k.a. summer to winter. And I'll tell you, even here in Texas, with it still being hot, I did say to Dustin the other day, like, wow, the sun is setting at like 7 p.m. Like the days are getting shorter, even if it feels Mm -hmm. like summer. And Mm -hmm. it does kind of like change Mm -hmm. the light. I feel like the change in the light is something that really affects me and gives me that like fall excitement you know even when i'm outside sweating because it's 95 i love love waking up in the morning like i usually get up between 6 and 7 a.m just like even without an alarm clock but like this time of year it's pitch black dark out and like no one is awake Ah. it's the best like having coffee and just like the eerie neighborhood quiet and it's yeah i just it's my time to shine it's my favorite (laughs) well you know, part of the tradition for uh, So Win was a bonfire would be lit, which sounds great. I totally, I mean, we don't have this here in Texas. Every It's like so dry, you can't light a fire. But I can close my eyes and think about living in the Pacific Northwest or living in Pennsylvania and walking outside in the evening and smelling the burning leaves, the bonfire, like, ah, oh, that is a smell that immediately puts me in the Halloween spirit and makes me like so happy. Also, there would be a lot of preparation and consumption of sweets. Um, And costumes would be worn to ward off evil spirits. And that's because the ancient Celts believed that the veil separating the worlds of the living and the dead 
that was at its thinnest during this time of year, which it does feel that way, right? And I think it is that changing of the light, you know? So Christian officials were not not into this holiday, and they didn't want their their people celebrating this holiday. Um, they wanted you know everybody to be moving away and really focusing on Christianity and the holidays within that. So they tried to create their own holiday, and they, and doing that they actually came up with two holidays. The first one was November first, which is All Saints Day, a celebration of Christian martyrs and saints, and then November second which is All Souls Day, a day for remembering the souls of the dead. Despite despite their best efforts, these holidays don't sound as much fun to me, sorry. Uh, people continue to celebrate with bonfires, costumes, and sweets, along with this focus on the spirit world and death. Now, some people get it a little muddy when they are thinking about Halloween and Dia de los Muertos, but they are two very different things. Uh, Dia de los Muertos is literally Day of the Dead, and it's a celebration of the connection between the living and the dead, as well as life after death. So both Halloween and Dia de los Muertos are about death, but kind of in, in a different way. So even though Halloween began in Europe, it didn't actually become what we know as Halloween and call Halloween, you know, like the trick-or-treating, the decorations, etc., until it came to the United States. In Europe, turnips were carved and candles were put inside to ward off spirits. But here in the U.S., people began to use pumpkins, which sounds a lot bigger. <laughs> Right. Um, In terms of what Halloween is here is now here in the United States, you can thank big candy corporations, paper companies and Hollywood for turning Halloween into a big moneymaker. But if you go back even before that, in the 19th century, this is so interesting to me. Wealthy women, you know, in the big cities, were looking for new reasons to throw parties because I guess that's like what they did. At the same time, you know, these women started to receive magazines in the mail, and some of them would talk about this quaint holiday tradition of Halloween that was being celebrated in the small towns of the British Isles. It was just a small thing then, right? So soon we have wealthy Americans adopting this holiday and its traditions as a party theme. And then companies are like, wait, are you telling me we could be making money off of this? So then we get these paper companies. One of them is actually called Denison, which if you've ever worked in an office, might sound familiar to you because they make all of those Avery labels. I don't even know if there are any other brands of labels out there that you can print on, but I have printed so many of those Avery labels in my lifetime. (laughs) And so Denison started making paper decorations for these parties that wealthy Americans were having. And they commodified a lot, this like mixture of imagery from old Halloween traditions and Dia de los Muertos. They kind of like merged them together into like this big business selling paper Halloween decorations. And then just like over time, More and more industries get in on the act. You know, this in the last century, in the 1900s, this is when we see like big candy, right? And Mm -hmm. we see Halloween, like Hollywood uh, studios saying like, oh, we can put out scary movies at Halloween. And then the 80s, it's like, not only can we put out Halloween movies, but we can also license out like different characters from our movies into Halloween costumes. And so it just like grows and grows and grows. And then, you know, eventually people are buying like 10 foot skeletons at Lowe's. 
it just keeps going. This is like, as you were sharing, just like the whole unfolding and sort of um, journey of this concept from, you know, Eastern hemisphere into Western culture. It's, it's got um, colonization vibes a bit. It's got some colonialism oh, wrapped in. Like when sure. you, as soon as you said Christians didn't like it, <laughs> so they they took the idea and they turned it into something else that was like more palatable for their people or whatever. Like I don't know if we have listeners who are Christian. This is not knocking Christians. No, but, not at all. Not like at all. it just it it reeks frankly of of cultural appropriation it was like so we we like this little detail and we like a little of this and we're gonna take these elements and then we're gonna just like totally turn it into you know i don't know if they saw it coming but gosh corporate corporate america was like hell yeah this is big opportunity right like <laughs> like you said it's money making opportunity profit 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 um, I can't say I'm surprised, even though I didn't know any of this before today. Um, <laughs> it just doesn't doesn't strike me as surprising. I, I don't know. I'm just like, wow. Wow, it, America. It is interesting, though, because d- like, despite this being so- something that took place over hundreds of years, this, the main parts of the Celtic ritual are still there. There's lots of bonfires there are there's the sweets, right? There are the costumes, even if the costumes have changed. Um, and I think that these are all three things that just like intrinsically a- appeal to humans, you know. And I mm-hmm. was I in in my research for this, I read a lot of articles about the commercialization of Halloween, right? And there was one that stuck out of my mind because this person was just like not having it at all. And he said something in his piece that was like, people are so foolish and so easily manipulated into charity that they will give out candy for free to strangers on Halloween when they just come and knock on their door. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's not come for trick-or-treating, okay? Like, <laughs> there is... <Whoa. laughs> I know. I was like, I, I mean, listen, I know, like, for example, Maggie, you don't hand out candy, right? I love it so much. I love seeing the kids' costumes. Like it just makes me so happy. You know, it's we we all get happiness out of it. But you know, it's a it's a fair relationship, I would say. Um, but yeah, I mean, like obviously, at the same time, I guess we all there are many people who have been sort of like you know pressured into handing out candy. Right? You don't want to get your house egged or TP'd. You know, I hear that can happen. So. I- I should say, like, I would. Like, the idea is, I love it, right? I love kids. I love costumes. And I love Halloween. But we have some big, seemingly scary dogs that are really tough to, like, wrangle. And I, like, the thought of scaring a child is... I just don't even want to risk it. You know, it's, it's yeah. too too tough. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. That's fair. Anyway, yeah, it was really interesting. I mean, obviously, there are plenty of people out there who are like, we need to end Halloween. Like, it's just a consumerist nightmare. And, you know, you and I have talked about this at length at this point, Maggie. And, like, I think it has gotten out of control. But there's, like, the joy of it can still exist without all this other nonsense attached to it, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so... You know, one thing we wanted to talk about today was cultural appropriation when it comes to costumes and really how 
certain costumes can really cause harm to people. You know, we're here to put the we back in Halloween. So we really want to think about how our decisions impact other people. So I thought we could start it. Like, I have some questions here for us just to discuss. Uh, for one, what are the effects of choosing the wrong costume on others? You know, people don't want their identity uh, role played or seen as a caricature. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's harmful because it's like, this is who I am at my core. It's not funny. You know, why are you mocking me or mocking my culture? So that's the reason why I think people should be more aware and considerate when choosing costumes. So that brings up a really good question that I have uh, because, you know, last year we did an episode about cultural appropriation and costumes um, and people reached out to me and said, you know, I don't care what you say. I am appreciating when I, when I wear that costume. This is cultural appreciation, not appropriation. And I feel like that is often a response that I see in the comments section on social media. Yeah, you can be Beyonce and appreciate Beyonce without blackface. You know what I mean? <laughs> there you have it. Yeah. Like, there's ways to, to do this and, <laughs> yeah. you know, to and be considerate. Yeah, yeah. It is wild to me. Can I just say that here it is. It's 2023. People still are like, yeah, I'm just going to do some blackface for Halloween. I can't believe it. But then I see it. Someone does it every year. It is really just upsetting. Um, As far as the distinction between appreciation and appropriation, like, I've definitely seen people say that, maybe even misuse that word, like, you know, I'm I'm not making fun. I'm not mocking or disrespecting. I I appreciate this, and that's why I'm you know why I'm embodying this persona or this character. I'm curious mm-hmm. about like where where the line is drawn. How do you know? You know, there's no cookie cutter answer to that, and I think that that's why it can become confusing. Um, it just really depends on the situation. Blackface is never appreciation for sure right <laughs> right right yeah yeah there's no, no. like gray area there like it's yeah. just like don't yeah. do it or you know just like the indian <laughs> yeah. or like you know those are the very obvious things and when it starts to get mm-hmm. murky it really really depends but i always tell people like in my coaching if you feel like it's murky if you feel like it's going to be offensive then you probably want to make the choice to just avoid it unless you have like a lesson that you're trying to mm-hmm. teach or maybe you are doing it uh, in accordance with somebody that, you know, can kind of walk you through how to properly appreciate rather than appropriate. Um, mm. But it can be it can be a, a murky situation. I just think um, and, and when I say that and the reason why I'm OK with murkiness is that. I feel like we're in this time and space where a lot of these conversations are recently coming up and it's going to take time. Like, I don't think I'm ever going to see this peaceful and um, equitable world that we dream of in my lifetime. But I think that this is just a time for us to be teaching and and engaging. And so I think that um, that's why I say it's kind of murky. We have to have some level of patience when things are murky and we do need to teach at the same time. But um Yeah, I just think that if you are very clear that you're trying to teach or appreciate and you are avoiding the mocking of certain groups of people, then you Mm -hmm. may be okay. You should be okay. 
Yeah, like reducing a culture to a joke, you know, a joke or like even like you said, use the word caricature, uh, which is interesting. Last year in our Save Halloween episode, I was talking about like how how to kind of ideate on costumes and you're looking at different places and things for ideas as inspiration, including your own wardrobe. And I use the word caricature, like zeroing in on and like amplifying or hyperbolizing certain characteristics of a character or whatever. Um, in this case, like if culture is, is the inspiration, if it's a community that you're not part of and you're, just like Halloween, right? And the way it's transformed, like picking the, you know, picking, picking what you like or focusing on, you know, specific details versus like the whole picture and the history and the story and the people around it. Um, it's, it's a different, a different scenario, you know? I love what you said too, Tally, about like, if you're not sure, if you're wondering, like, could this be offensive? It probably could be, right? Maybe it's better to to pick something else, um, you know, to go with a different costume. But then where I say those nuances are, for instance, uh, you know, somebody that practices witchcraft could say, do you practice witchcraft? Why are you walking around like witch? You know what I mean? It just gets, and then it could be like, well, yeah, I have my own idea of what witchcraft is. And so that's why these conversations just need to continue to happen and, um, you know, I think too, it's like, what was it? Uh, the impact that you're creating, you want to kind of, we want to kind of manage that. And I think that you all do that every year, year after year, you're having these conversations. So it's good. It's a good thing. You know, I think, I do think like if you have even the slightest, if you even have to think that this could be bad, just don't do it. <laughs> like it's a red flag, right? You know, I, Something I hear a lot or get told a lot out here in these kinds of conversations is people will sort of be like, well, I'm too old to think about things this way. It's confusing. Like, I just can't. I have to, like, cover my ears and not adapt. And I was wondering, like, do you ever get that kind of pushback in the education that you do where people are like, sorry, it's just too much for me? I do. Um, I don't, And I don't think that this is something that can be... Um, I mean, I guess shaming people, it does help overall. However, if the person's not ready, they're just not ready. They're I think not, I yeah. just tend to focus on the people that are ready. Um, and typically when they say they're old, it's sad to say, but they are not in our future, right? They're not the future that I look towards. Yeah. So yeah. every time I'm teaching, I'm teaching about how to be better and how to make us better and better and better as the years go on. I'm not going to waste a whole lot of energy on somebody that's old and defiant. Even though sometimes they're 35. <laughs> they're like, I'm too old. And you're like, wait, no, you're, you're, you're younger than me. You got it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, I, but I believe that the more, the, the more equitable we become as a society, the more they will feel shamed and silly and outcasted. Mm -hmm. And you know what I mean? I just think it's up to us to just really embody that, that we want to see and want to be. Yeah, I love that. I think that's mm -hmm. so true. I, I love that idea of like, this is like, it's the future that we want, right? And people can come and join that or not. Um, it's it's sad, but it, it is it is true. I and I don't I don't like to shame people either. It often in most cases it just makes someone shut down or double down, you know, <laughs> on, on their stance on things. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I, I I like your approach a lot. Mm -hmm. 
You know, you mentioned teaching. I think you, you use that word a couple of times, which when I think teaching, you know, when it comes to cultural appropriation, uh, any kind of diversity, equity, inclusion, like I'm, I'm not an authority. I'm here to learn, right? Mm-hmm, and that's mm-hmm. as far as like building the future that we want to see. I think it's really important. You know, we're talking about shame as well, like acknowledging that no one has all of the answers. Mm-mm. No one, you know, like maybe there's not even a clear cut right or wrong mm-hmm. answer, mm-hmm. but like the willingness to learn right. and engage and show up and yep. like you're talking about teaching also self-education, like, you mm-hmm. know, read, read, do research. Um, no one's expecting that you're going to spend endless hours and internet rabbit holes like Amanda and I have for (laughs) for this episode, for example, but like, you know, there are resources out there. I think it takes the willingness to, to learn, you know, to just admit that like, we, we don't know what we don't know, you know? Yeah. And sometimes it has to hit home for people, right? Like they need to know that they hurt someone that they know personally or, or what have you. And then sometimes I always say that when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. There could be somebody listening right now that's like, oh, and there's this light bulb moment. And so, again, that's why we got to keep talking about it and keep living it out. I always say that learning is one of life's greatest pleasures. Mm-hmm. And there's something, I mean, I don't know, to me, growing and learning is a lifelong process. And for myself, I love taking those moments to reflect and look back and say like, look how far I have come as a person. Look how far the world has come collectively. And I think the best the best way to live life and the most ethical way to live life is really to just always be open to learning and knowing that that's part of your journey and your growth as a human. That just because you're adult size now doesn't mean you're not growing anymore and it's like all over and now you just dial it in for the rest of your life, you know? Mm-hmm. Like it's like really about like continuing to change our thinking, grow our thinking, learn new things, hear new things and you know, move, grow from there. I don't know. I that's why when people are like I I can't, this is too complicated. I'm like maybe it is today. But maybe in a few months, it won't be, you know? Yeah. And at the very least, I encourage people to just try to do no harm if, at the yeah. very, very least. That does bring me to a question, and I don't have an answer here. So if neither of you have an answer here, that's fine, too. What should you do if you see someone considering a costume or actively wearing a costume that could be harmful to others? I mean, I... I know what my personal policy is, which is the same as if I see someone or hear someone misgender someone, even if that person is not in the room. If I see something, I say something. There's that philosophy of like criticize in private, compliment in public. Um, you know, I I would want to I would want to consider that. If I'm in a public place, I would definitely pull the person aside and just ask, like, have you thought about it? You know, um, but not like not publicly shame and humiliate them. I don't know if that's motivation for learning. I don't know if that gets the point across, but I would, I would say something. It would be uncomfortable, but I would definitely say something. 
I think that individuals have the right to approach those things how they want to. You know, we all have different things going on in our lives. We all have different levels of understanding. Um, we all have our attention someplace. Um, I think that those that this is their mission and their calling, go out, live your life the way that you project to live. Um, surround yourself with people and things and ideas that align with your values. Um, if someone is asking or if you're in a position where you are asked to teach, then of course you're going to do that. But that, that just tends to me, me, I have never been one for evangelism. Um, because for me, even when you start whatever it is that you believe in, right? I know a lot of times Christians get a lot of flack for, or Jehovah's Witness knocking on the door. It can be the same thing with everything else. <laughs> so I trust for people to grow in the way that they're supposed to grow. I trust to show up as the teacher that I'm supposed to be when I am supposed to do it. But I don't feel like I need to create a plan and I need to go and I, yeah, I just, and here's the thing. Somebody may feel that way if that's their calling. So I just really believe in allowing people to make their own choices based on their circumstances. Yeah, I think that's great. I think that we uh, sometimes feel as if the best thing we can do is sort of pile on people about this kind of stuff. And I don't think that that actually rarely, if ever, actually leads to any truly positive outcome like growth, you know, like it just, it can almost like perpetuate the problem in a weird way. All right. Well, I know, you know, just for everybody who's listening to this, all three of us are not feeling well today. Um, but I think y'all did a really great job and we powered through it. <laughs> so uh, I wanted to thank you, uh, Tali, for taking the time uh, to share your expertise with us. And of course, Maggie, for, you know, pulling yourself out of bed and showing up for yet another recording session. I really, really appreciate it. It really, it means so much to me. Thank you so much. It's been fun. And thank you, Maggie, for making the connection. Absolutely. Thank you for your time, for your insights, and for joining us for, for this conversation. I appreciate it. Let's take a moment to thank some of the incredible small businesses who keep Clothes Horse going via their generous Patreon support. Selena Sanders, a social impact brand that specializes in upcycle clothing using only reclaimed vintage or thrifted materials from tea towels, linens, blankets, and quilts. Sustainably crafted in Los Angeles, each piece is designed to last in one's closet for generations to come. Maximum style, minimal carbon footprint. Shift clothing out of beautiful Astoria, Oregon, with a focus on natural fibers, simple hardworking designs, and putting fat people first. Discover more at shiftwheeler.com. Late to the party, creating one-of-a-kind statement clothing from vintage, salvaged, and thrifted textiles. They hope to tap into the dreamy memories we all hold. Floral curtains, a childhood dress, the wallpaper in your best friend's rec room all while creating modern, sustainable garments that you'll love wearing and have for years to come. Late to the Party is passionate about celebrating and preserving textiles, the memories they hold, and the stories they have yet to tell. Check them out on Instagram at Late to the Party People. 
Vino Vintage, based just outside of LA. We love the hunt of shopping secondhand because you never know what you might find. Catch us at flea markets around Southern California by following us on Instagram at vino.vintage so you don't miss our next event. Gabriela Antonis is a visual artist, an upcycler, and a fashion designer. But Gabriela Antonis is also a feminist micro-business with radical ideals. She's the one-woman band trying to help you understand why slow fashion is what the world needs. If you find yourself in New Orleans, Louisiana, you may buy her ready-to-wear upcycle garments in person at the store Slow Down at 2855 Magazine Street. Slowdown Nola only sells vintage and slow fashion from local designers, and Gabriella's garments are guaranteed to be in stock in person, but they also have a website so you may support this woman-owned and run business from wherever you are. If you're interested in Gabriella making a one-of-a-kind garment for you, DM her on Instagram at slowfashiongabriella to book a consultation. Please follow her on Instagram at slowfashiongabriella. That's Gabriella with one L. Dylan Page is an online clothing and lifestyle brand based out of St. Louis, Missouri. Our products are chosen with intention for the conscious community. Everything we carry is animal-friendly, ethically made, sustainably sourced, and cruelty-free. Dylan Page is for those who never stop questioning where something comes from. We know that personal experience dictates what's sustainable for you, and we are here to help guide and support you to make choices that fit your needs. Check us out at dylanpage.com and find us on Instagram at dylanpagelifeandstyle. Salt Hats, purveyors of truly sustainable hats, hand-blocked, sewn, and embellished in Detroit, Michigan. Find us on Instagram at Salt Hats. Gentle Vibes Vintage. We are purveyors of polyester and psychedelic relics. We encourage experimentation and play not only in your wardrobe, but in your home too. We have thousands of killer vintage pieces ready for their next adventure. See them all on Instagram at Gentle Vibes Vintage. Thumbprint is Detroit's only fair trade marketplace located in the historic Eastern Market. Our small business specializes in products handmade by empowered women in South Africa, making a living wage, creating things they love like hand-painted candles and ceramics. We also carry a curated assortment of sustainable and natural locally made goods. Thumbprint is a great gift destination for both the special people in your life and for yourself. Browse our online store at thumbprintdetroit.com and find us on Instagram at thumbprintdetroit. High Energy Vintage is a fun and funky vintage shop located in Somerville, Massachusetts, just a few minutes away from downtown Boston. They offer a highly curated selection of bright and colorful clothing and accessories from the 1940s to the 1990s for people of all genders. Husband and wife duo Wiley and Jessamy handpick each piece for quality and style with a focus on pieces that transcend trends and will find a home in your closet for many years to come. In addition to clothing, the shop also features a large selection of vintage vinyl and old school video games. Find them on Instagram at High Energy Vintage, online at highenergyvintage.com, and at markets in and around Boston. Vagabond Vintage DTLV is a vintage clothing, accessories, and decor reselling business based in downtown Las Vegas, Nevada. 
Not only do we sell in Las Vegas, but we're also located throughout resale markets in San Francisco, as well as at a curated boutique called Lux and Ivy located in Indianapolis, Indiana. Jessica, the founder and owner of Vagabond Vintage DTLV, recently opened the first IRL location located in the Arts District of downtown Las Vegas on August 5th. The shop has a strong emphasis on 60s and 70s garments, single-stitch tees, and dreamy loungewear. Follow them on Instagram at Vagabond Vintage DTLV and keep an eye out for their website coming fall of 2022. Thank you so much to Tali for taking the time to talk to us. Um, when we were recording this, all three of us were sick. <laughs> and you know what? I think we pulled it together. But I'm really grateful for Maggie and Tali both taking the time to record that conversation when they were feeling less than their best. Uh, there were there was a whole section in there about sexy Halloween costumes and the history of them, which unfortunately had some major technical issues. So I'm thinking about how to share that information with you. And it might be through an Instagram live. So stay tuned. It'll come in the next week or so. But uh, yeah, it just something I don't know what happened. There are a lot of technical issues for this year's Halloween episodes. No, no, it can't be. What are you doing out here? Well, you know, we promised that a few weeks ago, maybe it was a month ago at this point, that we were going to help you solve some of your biggest Halloween quandaries. Um, and it was interesting. All of the problems fall in, fell into two categories. That was it, uh, which is great. I guess that means we're solving a lot of Halloween problems already. But the two things that everybody was like, ah, I'm so stumped on this, was Halloween candy and Halloween makeup. So we're going to try... Mm -hmm. To help you out with those today. So let's get started with Halloween candy. So I I will just tell you, Maggie, when I think of Halloween, candy is top of mind. Like if we were playing Family Feud and I went up and they were like, words that you associate with Halloween, I would say candy, right? And it would probably be number two. <laughs> maybe, maybe it would be number one on the board. I don't mm -hmm. know. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it would be up there and it's a really big deal. So... I mean, I let me tell you this. My favorite Halloween candy, for sure, are the Reese's Peanut Butter Pumpkins. And my least favorite Halloween mm -hmm. candy, I don't even know if this exists anymore, is that horrible, really hard gum that was individually wrapped that you would get. Like, sometimes people would put a whole handful in your bucket when you were kids. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, Okay, so it's it's pink. Yes. The the gum itself, but the wrapper is like blue, yellow, and white, I think. Yes, yes. They're like single-use, individually wrapped, and they're like twisted on each side. Yes, yes. And yes, I think they're rock hard. so bad. My mom would take those away from <laughs> us. She'd be like, nope. Maybe we'd get one, one in, and it wasn't even, you'd be like, oh, why am I chewing this, right? Uh. Um, what is your favorite Halloween candy? So the, this is tough because I, I like peanut butter cups as well. Peanut butter pumpkins. Mm -hmm. um, probably my my favorite of all time is it kind of gets a bad rap, actually. It's not candy corn. It's the uh, those individually wrapped 
caramels. Ah. Some of them are caramel. Some of them have like a peanut buttery kind of um, flavor to them. Mm -hmm. But they're really like super plain Jane packaging. They're like Mm -hmm. dark brown or black or just plain orange. And they're like nothing glamorous or sexy about them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I, I remember like, you know, my, my classmates and like, even my sibling, it was like, if we're going to make a separate pile for just these, like these are the, you know, um, the discard pile or whatever. I'm like, well, give them to me. I love them. Yeah. No, those are really I don't know good. What they're called. <laughs> uh, I don't know either. I also, when I was a kid, I really loved cow tails and they're also made by the same company. They're like caramel, but, and then the center was like a little circle of like some sort of white, Basically sugar in the center. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. I was, I went to a candy trade show uh, a few months before I left my last job and they had a whole booth of them. And I was telling, you know, the person I was with like, oh, those are my favorite. And they were like, are you 150 years old? And I was like, what? Caramel is like way overlooked. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's delicious. It's delicious. Yeah. I mean, whereas like that horrible gum, it is universally horrible. Um. But I think we all have our own favorite candy, uh, candies, perhaps. And I will say, like, this is strictly anecdotal. Like, I don't have data on this. But, like, based on my trips to Costco, Target, the grocery store, that kind of thing, one thing I have noticed is that more and more the candy that you see on the Halloween aisle is it's it's really narrowed to like name brand stuff. You know, like it's like here's all the Hershey's stuff, here's Snickers, here's Reese's. It's there's a lot less of like those caramels and that weird gum and stuff like that. Like it's all fancy now. Like big big candy has gotten in there and squeezed out the little guys, which of like course doesn't surprise me. Yeah, what it doesn't surprise me. Well, unfortunately, I got a lot of scary information about candy, um, which Mm -hmm. when I learned all of this last year, last year I was like, I'm going to get to the bottom of what the best Halloween candy was. And it was like, I mean, I've taken on some big topics here at Close Horse. I thought the candy would be like an hour of reading, maybe two. And I am telling you, minimally 20 hours of research and reading into candy to figure out what the deal is with candy. It was intense. Damn, you went deep. I went deep and a lot of it is very obscured, right? Probably because so much candy is coming from the same companies now. Like it's just Mm -hmm. narrowed so much. So yeah, it's get ready to be depressed. I'll start by saying that there is no perfect candy option for Halloween. It's there's nothing that checks all the boxes where there is no human exploitation and there's no plastic waste and there's, you know, no environment egregious environmental damage or anything like that. Like you kind of got to shop your values here and pick what's most important to you if you want to be involved with candy in general in life, but also at Halloween. And I'll tell you I love those Reese's peanut butter pumpkins, and I won't be having one this year um, because, you know, among I have many issues with Hershey, which is who owns Reese's. And by the way, Hershey owns lots of candy brands at this point. We'll go into that. But anyway, I am not going to be buying anything from Hershey this year because they did a partnership with Harry Potter, and I I don't want to support J.K. Rowling. Oh, shit. I know. We'll talk about that more. But, like, these are the kinds of decisions we have to make, and Sometimes, like, caring about things is really hard. And maybe maybe this is a sign that I need to learn how to make my own peanut butter pumpkins. 
There you go. There you go. Okay, so first things first, candy. It is full of child labor, forced labor, wage theft, poverty wages, and seriously, like, next-level dangerous working conditions. Uh, And specifically, most of this comes to a head in the chocolate supply chain. Chocolate, one of the world's most perfect foods, it turns out, is deeply problematic. In fact, in 2021, two different cases went in front of the Supreme Court here in the United States in which lawyers argued that children as young as five worked in hazardous conditions on cacao farms and in some cases were even held in slavery. They didn't even they didn't even tiptoe around it and say forced labor. They said these children are being held in slavery harvesting cacao. Cacao being the major ingredient in chocolate. Um, According to a 2019 Department of Labor report, also here in the U.S., more than 1.56 million children who were working on cacao farms engaged in hazardous work. That was the that was the exact quote: hazardous work, such as spraying chemicals and using sharp knives to collect the cocoa pods. And I saw a picture of a kid harvesting chocolate. And I think knife is kind of an understatement. We're talking like machete and like climbing with it. Just little children. That is terrifying. And honestly, as much as I love chocolate, this is, it's opening my eyes to so much that's problematic with that whole supply chain and industry. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. I mean, there are good news. There are companies out there that do everything they can to avoid this, but the biggest chocolate companies out there, surprise, surprise, are not. Um, Man, sometimes I'm just like, why is everything about capitalism so rotten? <laughs> like, it's just everything, you know? The, an- the answer's in the question. I know, you're right, you're <laughs> <For> right. <real. laughs> okay, so next is palm oil. And I could do a whole episode on palm oil. It is also a major ingredient in a lot of personal care products and other Mm, foods. mm -hmm. And palm oil is really bad news. Unfortunately, it is found in about half of all packaged foods. As a side note, I listened to this really interesting season of one of my favorite podcasts. It's called The Uncertain Hour, and it's primarily about sort of the root of economic inequality here in the United States. There's a whole season about peanut butter um, and this woman who basically like forced change within the peanut butter industry in the 50s. Um, And it was because like, you know, original peanut butter was just ground up peanuts and it was uh, people loved it, but it was like stuck to the roof of your mouth. They broke the bread when you put it on there and it just wasn't as spreadable. So the early peanut butter brands... um, Skippy and Peter Pan, they found that they could extract the peanut oil and do this process to it that would hydrogenize it and mix it back in. It was spreadable, right? And it wouldn't separate as much. But then Procter & Gamble, who I feel like is like one of the crown the crown princes of capitalism going way back well more than 100 years. Uh, They were like, you know, we should get it on peanut butter, but we should make peanut butter even more profitable. How could we do that? What if 25% of peanut butter was just Crisco? And so they they make Jif, 
right? And it's only 75% peanuts. The other 25% is Crisco, which is a blend of cotton oil, rapeseed oil, and one other oil. They didn't have palm oil yet, but you know, that would have been coming. Wow. And people are like, hey, that's not fair. Also, like, I don't know if kids should be eating that much Crisco. Basically, the oils that they were using and put like, you know, to make it cheaper were industrial byproducts of other things. And so just anyway, peanut butter, chocolate, all these things are problematic. And palm oil is a really big one. Like here again is where we see forced labor, aka slavery, coming into the food supply in candy, but in many other categories as well. A lot of palm oil plantations rely on forced labor. Um, the production of palm oil is a major contributor to deforestation. According to the World Wildlife Fund for Nature, not to be confused with the other WWF, the World Wrestling Federation, which I know, Maggie, you're very familiar with. Mm, this WWF mm-hmm. said that the equivalent of 300 football fields of rainforest are destroyed every hour to make way for palm oil plantations. Just why? Why can't we ever have nice things? That the magnitude of that. Why does our peanut butter have to have Crisco in it? You know. (laughs) And then there's the plastic. So picture your standard bag of Halloween candy on the shelves at the grocery store, right? I can picture it. It's a plastic bag full of candy wrapped in more plastic. It's a lot of plastic, and the majority of this packaging will never be recycled. Probably because it cannot be, because they're made of layers of materials, or because consumers will just drop them in the trash anyway. And on average, a single trick-or-treater, just one, generates about one pound of trash. And it's all plastic. That's a lot of plastic for one person, one one child, one one human being. That's a lot. I know. It's not like people are handing out AOL CD-ROMs anymore, you know? <laughs> It feels like it, right? That would be a good Halloween handout, actually, like 20 years ago. Um, So there's just all these complicated issues, right? And, you know, it's it's like you have to decide where you want to stand. What's your number one focus? What's your number two focus? Is it human rights? Is it plastic waste? You know, are you more concerned about child labor in chocolate or just general human exploitation with palm oil? Are you thinking about deforestation? I mean, this, these are really complicated issues. The Halloween candy is kind of at the point of intersection of some of our the worst issues happening right now on this planet. Just like clothing, right? It's like so funny, or but I mean funny in like a really dark way, that all of these things that people think of as innocuous are like smack dab in the center of all of these just horrible things happening on our planet right now, right? Nothing is safe or immune from, yeah, the the ills of capitalism, for sure. Right, right. And then, like, ultimately, you kind of have to shop with your values. Like, once again, for many reasons, I'm not going to be shopping Hershey's or Reese's because of this whole Harry Potter thing. I just don't think it's okay to support J.K. Rowling, who says a lot of transphobic things to her massive audience and even donates to organizations that are transphobic, you know, and that, you know, campaign against trans people and their rights. Yeah, this, this is a no, no turf zone. No, no turf zone, yes. And so... I was like, huh, so like how far is this going to go? Like I 
I'm from central Pennsylvania. I actually grew up really close to Hershey, Pennsylvania. And every year we would go to Hershey Park, which is a massive amusement park. And they had a ride where you'd get to go through a fake chocolate factory. And at the end, you got a candy bar. I loved it. It was so cool. I guess I won't be going to Hershey Park anymore. But because I've grown up so close to that, I knew like, okay, well, obviously like no more special dark, no more Mr. Good Bar. Uh, And I knew that they owned Reese's, but like, what else do they own? Well, like everything practically, uh, Jolly Rancher, Twizzlers, Bark Thins, Brookside, Bubble Yum, Icebreakers, Cadbury, Breath Savers, so many more. Just go look at the Hershey's website. They like own everything ever, basically. Um, Wow, right? Um, So yeah, no Reese's Pieces, no peanut butter cups, anything like that. And I'm going to stick to that. I'll be okay. Maybe I'm going to suddenly start my own candy factory where no turfs are ever allowed to enter. I don't know. Let's make our own candy. That would be awesome. DIY candy. Yeah, totally. A few years ago, my friend Mary and I did decide we were going to make Valentine's Day chocolates just for one another, like together. And it was really hard work, but worth it. Worth it. We even made like the jam to put in the truffles. It was very extra and it was so good. Okay, so I have some ideas other than, like, going outside and just, like, throwing your head back and screaming at the sky, which is how I felt after going down this candy rabbit hole. I was just like, why? Why can't we have anything, right? First things first is that you could skip the packaging. However, Reddit is full of tales of people saying, I don't care what people say about packaging. I am a... I am a very hardcore zero-waste person. I handed out unwrapped food to my trick-or-treaters. And I'm like, no, don't do that. Like produce and stuff? No, it was more extreme. It was like, I made cookies. I made lemon bars. I did this. I did that. And it's like, I made, you know, the classic popcorn balls, what have you. And it's like, you can't do that. Most parents are not going to let their kids take unpackaged food from you, from a stranger. And if they do, they're probably going to make them throw it out. So it just just leads to a lot of food waste, right? And at the same time, I mean, you and I have talked about this before, Maggie, that whole myth that people are putting drugs in Halloween candy and razor blades and apples, it's been debunked pretty substantially. Um, there's an amazing, like, it's a few years old now at this point, an amazing episode of one of my favorite podcasts, You're Wrong About, called Poisoned Halloween Candy and Other Urban Legends. And I was so relieved because, you know, I will say like around third, fourth grade, most of the news I got came from my friends at school. And I was hearing stories all the time about all the the needles and razor blades and drugs that people were putting in Halloween candy. And like, you know, I I still get a little nervous taking an apple from someone who doesn't live with me. <laughs> because it's like in there so deep remember i don't know if they did this in your town maggie but you could go get like your halloween candy x-rayed at the hospital oh gosh yes for metal pieces looking for yeah (laughs) my mom was like we are never doing that and i was like wow it's just because she doesn't want to drive there but i see now that she was like it's probably not happening but you know nonetheless those ideas are all in our brains the spoiler of the all is that you know drug dealers don't like Drugs are expensive. They're not just like giving them to kids and putting them in candy, right? Like they'd rather make That's a profit. That's what I was going to say. It's like it's capitalism. A, it's a commodity. Yeah, yeah. exactly. exactly. But, you know, it's still in there in our head. People are not going to let you give unwrapped candy, unwrapped food that you've cooked to their kids. 
right? So don't do that for trick-or-treating. But if it's a party at work or at home and you know everyone who's coming and you're not a stranger, why are you buying a bag of bulk-wrapped candy uh, when you could be making your own treat bags of other things, right? That Things that maybe aren't wrapped in plastic. Um, I, there are lots of candies that you can find in the bulk section that are wrapped in foil, you know? Um, you could also bake or cook something. Rice Krispie treats are always a hit, and vegan ones are even better and easy to make too. So that's a great option. Cookies, cupcakes, fudge, man, people do not make enough fudge these days. And let me tell you, fudge will fill fill the candy void. You just need like one little square and you're good for like a whole year. Oh, yeah. Like, I just need- <laughs> made, I made a batch, um, I think it was like three weeks ago of like layered peanut butter and dark chocolate fudge. Oh, My- my brother came over to visit and he's like, Hey, can I, can I take a couple pieces back to my roommates to try? And like, this is almost a month later. Every time he comes to my house, he's like, my roommates will not shut up about that fudge. When are you <laughs> making it again? I'm like, damn, you know, that was my first try with that specific recipe. <sighs> um, I guess it was a hit. I'm gonna have to make more of it, but also like, Making it means that we have to eat it, and that is dangerous. <laughs> like <laughs> it is. I'd rather give it away. You have to send me the recipe though, because now I want to make okay. it too. I did just, you know, I'm starting to slowly pack for when we move, even though we haven't found a place yet. And I did pack my candy thermometer yesterday, but I can Ooh. pull it out. I know where it is. I'm ready. Okay. There you go. Oh God, fudge is so good. Anyway, another thing you could do at like a party or at work is you could buy some like little cute mandarin oranges or other fruits and draw faces on them. And I actually had a friend who did this with a bunch of bananas and it was hilarious. <laughs> like a banana really, with a face. <laughs> yeah, you could probably get really detailed and like Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. would be cool. Bananas are a great surface for art. <laughs> Okay, so that's like skipping the packaging. Next, you can go with the classics. So a lot of the questions we received about candy were kind of like, I need a lot of candy because I am going to have well more than 100 trick-or-treaters or I'm going to a parade or I'm having a huge party or what have you. And I can't afford to buy expensive candy, which I totally get. Some of the uh, most environmentally responsible and ethically responsible candy is actually some of the least expensive candy too. I can't believe it. It's like one of the few times things work, work out. And a lot of classic candy, no, and I'm not saying Reese's peanut butter cups. We're going to go more classic than that. A lot of those candies are inexpensive. They come in recyclable or compostable packaging and they do not contain palm oil. And a lot of them will come in a huge plastic bag with all the little boxes inside, and you can reuse that plastic bag for something else. So this is like the closest you can get to zero-waste candy, I would say, that's packaged. So for one, this is a classic. Makes me think of going to the bank with my grandma when I was a kid. Dum Dum Lollipops. Um, and I don't know, I'm sure, Maggie, you've probably had hundreds of these, if not thousands in your life. Oh, yeah. I remember them, like, doctor's offices, banks, like, the post office in our, oh, like, yeah. small hometown used to have them just, like, out for anybody to grab. Oh, yeah. And Love I them. felt like there was a period where I was like, I, 
I shall try every flavor of Dum Dums. So I would be out running errands with my grandma and I would just collect them along the way. Like, oh, I already have a butterscotch, but here's a root beer. Like, like I was like Pokemoning, early Pokemon here or something. Um, and uh, the one that always, that my cousin, I remember my cousins and my brother and I talking about this so many times. What was the deal with the mystery flavor? Right? Like, what was it? It turns out that the mystery flavor, which would come in like purple and white wrapping with the question marks on it, is actually, I love this so much, it's when one production run ends and a new production run begins. And so it's it's two flavors mixed together. Oh, wow. So it's not, not even like a single distinct flavor. No, it's, no. Uh, okay. Because I wow. would always be like, um, is it cream soda? But there already is a cream soda one. And it's a little bit different. Like, it, And it would always be different. And that is why. So they just don't waste any of their ingredients. And so you get these weird crossover ones. It's it's so interesting. Although I do think more often than not, they had a strong cream soda vibe. Just saying. Yeah. yeah. Um, That's cool, though. That's really I know. cool to know. It's really cool. Okay. So some more classic candies. Boston baked beans, which I... I love, I bought a box last year uh, after doing all this Halloween candy research and I was like, hold, they hold up. And Red Hots, which are like spicy cinnamon and like chewy, right? Um, the the company that owns Boston Baked Beans and Red Hots, they own a lot of other candies that you are going to know, like Lemon Heads. All of them, for the most part, come in cardboard boxes. They're great. They will remind you of a time that was before any of us were born because these are like really old candies and their parent company Ferrera Pan is like actually works really hard to have a clean supply chain meaning no human exploitation and they do make some chocolate but they actually like very loudly work on ensuring that they are working with partners who do not have child labor or forced labor within their supply chain i really appreciate that and they actually, a few years ago, bought all of the Wonka products. Before that, uh, Wonka was owned by Nestle, which is like on the opposite end of the spectrum and is a company, a terrible company that does all the bad things. Uh, so I hadn't had any Wonka stuff for a really long time, but now Ferrera Pan owns it, which means you can add nerds to that list because they come in a little cardboard box, which is recyclable. And there's no palm oil or forced labor, anything in the supply chain. So that's awesome. Not good for your teeth, but, you know, good for uh, handing out at Halloween. Nerds are so good. They're I'm like so good. Salivating, thinking about like the watermelon <laughs> ones right now. Uh, oh, yeah, I love them so much. Um, and then dots are another like classic candy. Uh, personally, not my favorite because they get stuck in your teeth, which like breaks my brain. I can't handle it. But they are pretty delicious. They come in cardboard boxes, and they're not very expensive. So just go classic when it comes to Halloween candy. And it, you should be able to find something that is affordable but also ethical. The last thing is you can say, listen, I get five trick-or-treaters or I get zero, and I just want a bowl of candy in my house, and that's how I live, which I admire. You can spend a little bit more, right, because you don't need to give out candy to hundreds of people. Um my, my favorite chocolate company, like if I'm out and I'm going to buy myself a candy bar, it's Tony's Chocolonely 
Chocolonely? Chocolonely. Yeah. It's oh, yeah. so totally good. Right. Like, I love, I mean, I buy the whole big candy bar, which is like a month's supply. It's so mm-hmm. much chocolate. But they make tiny Tonys that are a little like fun size ones. Um, from their website, Tony's mission is together we can make 100% slave free the norm in chocolate, which I love. Um, the packaging on the tiny Tonys is not compostable or recyclable, but it has been intentionally designed to be biodegradable in normal trash. That's awesome. Um, so to me, they're like a great brand. I mean, one, I love their chocolate. It's so good. And they have really good flavors. Um, but they're also like the definition of progress, not perfection. Like they're constantly trying to evolve. It is a little bit more expensive. Um, you can buy their stuff online or you might have to go to like, you know, your local, whatever your favorite like fancy grocery store is. Um, Equal Exchange Minis are another one. They're high quality. They're ethically sourced. The wrapper is paper. Um, they're actually more affordable than you would think if you're not giving it out to like hundreds of people. Um, they're about 22 cents per bar if you buy directly from their website. Um, and then there are Alter Eco Truffles, which are fair trade, palm oil free, and they're wrapped in plant-based, non-GMO compostable wrappers. <laughs> so there's a lot of stuff going on there. They're a little bit more expensive, but if you order directly from them, they're more affordable too. Nice. Um, so yeah, fancy candy. And I will just add this... Th- as far as I know, this this company does not offer like a trick-or-treat size, but Dr. Bronner's is making chocolate now. And it's so good. <laughs> and it's it's also like ethical, you know, paper wrapper, all of that stuff. It's really, really good. I mean, it is a little bit more spendy, but worth it. Definitely I'm gonna check those out. That's cool. They have a mint one, it's really good. Okay, so Maybe you're just like, I, you know what, I don't want to be involved with this candy at all, or I I don't like candy, or, you know, there are dietary restrictions to think about, which makes it really complicated, too. You can skip candy altogether. And uh, I have some ideas. Maggie has some ideas. You can hate them. That's okay, too. One thing I will say that Maggie and I have in common is neither of us are mommy bloggers. (laughs) We don't know what's up with the kids these days, really. Um, My kid is grown, and I was always the weird mom anyway. So, you know, all my advice, just take with a grain of salt. But one, if you're trying to hand out to as as many people as possible, and you want to spend the least amount of money possible, might I recommend that you buy a roll of stickers, the kind that are pre-scored and rip off into little squares and rip them all out and put them in a bucket and everybody gets a little sticker sheet. I think people love stickers. It's like ageless to love stickers. Everyone will love that. You could also get mini notebooks, pencils, little boxes of crayons. Um, I had a neighbor who would give everybody a quarter for Halloween, which seems expensive, but that adds up probably. I know, but I felt like, oh my gosh, that person gave me money. Like what? You know, um, you could also, and once again, this depends on your budget. You could track down gift certificates for a small local treat, like a scoop of ice cream or a cookie. Uh, every once in a while, someone in my neighborhood growing up would give out the coupons that you would get you like a small French fry at McDonald's. <laughs> I don't know if you ever had that in your neighborhood, Maggie, but it was uh, it was something that McDonald's was definitely pushing on television. I remember seeing the ads. So when someone gave me one of those coupons, I felt like I was like really cool. <laughs> I do love yeah. the idea of like cer- gift certificates, though, for like, you know, community, small businesses. That's that yeah. is really sweet. That's yeah, a great you don't, idea. 
Don't do McDonald's. Do something in your neighborhood. Um, I love this one. Although it is work, you can make mini craft kits out of scrap materials or items from the thrift store or creative reuse shop. So you could create a friendship bracelet kit by wrapping various colors of embroidery floss around a slip of paper or a card with instructions. You could assemble a beaded necklace or jewelry kit with secondhand beads and string. I would have like... Oh, I would have been over the moon if I had received that trick or treat. I was just, just thinking the same thing. Like, right? <laughs> as much as I love chocolate and sweet and sour stuff, like, give me craft time any day yes. of the week. Yes. So the next one I'm going to tell you, I suggested this last year on Instagram, and I got some heat for endangering children. So take this one with a grain of salt. But you can make a little mini embroidery cross-stitch set with a little piece of fabric, some floss, and a needle. And people were like, I was going to get canceled for suggesting you give needles to kids. Older kids, okay? Okay. <laughs> Not and like also, little kids. <laughs> they make, depending on the, like, the fabric that, like, that Aida has, like, old kind of already mm-hmm. um, put in it, like, they make plastic embroidery needles. They exist. Yes. I, I remember getting a kit when I was like in kindergarten to stitch up like a, like a plastic grid. Um, and the needle was plastic and I love that thing. Oh, so sh- now you, okay. Like talk did about Did I just nostalgia. sound like a memory for you? Yeah. Pl- plastic <laughs> I know, canvas right? <laughs> is what it was called. I think plastic yeah. canvas was like yeah. oh. huge in my family. Um, yeah. I feel like there are so many crafts that were like a big part of like a certain period of my time, my life where like all kids were getting these for Christmas and birthdays and things like that. Like Mm -hmm. it was those kinds of sets or the thing where you would make a pot holder out of loops of fabric. Um, There were the fashion plates where you would like rub the weird, I don't know, like graphite, right? I love those. Spirographs, um, just paper dolls. Like, man, I... I still love a craft kit. I thrift them all the time. <laughs> I just love craft kits. Anyway, um, so yeah, so there are a lot of things you could do there. Um, don't give needles to small children. I think we all know that, right? Like we've all signed a social contract. But use your, use your. Uh, I wouldn't give like, I also wouldn't give tiny beads to like a toddler, right? So use your sense there. But I think these are good ideas. I had this idea a few weeks ago that is work So perhaps not something you want to sign up for, but if you have kids who are kind of bored at home, maybe the weather's changing, maybe this is a fun craft project for them, which is making upcycled ghosts. So taking like fabric scraps, cutting ghosts out of them, sewing them up and then stuffing them. You can get like the polyfill or stuff them with other fabric or beads or beans, something like that. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. Uh, Tiny little puzzles and games could be a thing too. Uh, Maggie, you suggested a zine, like a Halloween zine. Oh, yeah. Halloween. Halloween. Yes. Um, I actually have a, a template. Um, I created my very first zine, baby's first zine, just like a month ago. Wow. Um, I've, I've consumed them. Like, I've read them. I've enjoyed them my entire life, but I never made one for myself. So I finally did. Um, and it was like, it was really fun, super fun to put together and pretty easy as well. So if you're looking for a template, I got you. You can reach out to me and I'll I'll get that to you. Um, <sighs> That's awesome. Really fun to create. Yeah, really fun. Um, you could also make like a DIY coloring book. You know, you you had the idea of a QR code that people could print out the pages at home. 
much. I yeah, that's what I was thinking. If we're you know if we're being mindful of waste and trying to cut down on paper and plastic, like I I don't know, maybe you print out one sheet of paper and it's like on a sandwich board outside your door or something. Like most most kids these days have phones, you know, like scan the QR code. <laughs> Or they're with their parents, like have their parents yeah. scan the QR code and like maybe link it to, I don't know, I was picturing like a PDF, right? Like if you really want to get creative, you can draw some things and save it as a PDF and direct that QR code to that link and then they can download them as many as they want and print them out, color them, um, it eliminates you know, that, that paper waste. I love that. You could also do the same thing, like create paper dolls that they could print out at home too. I don't know. I don't know if the kids these days love paper dolls, but man, I still do. Um, or heck a freaking zine template, like make your own yeah, zine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> make your own zine. Yeah. I love this. I love this. Okay. So the next one I'm going to suggest, I suggested last year, nobody like that I am aware of adopted this idea, but I posted about it this week on Instagram and someone said, that's what my family does every year. And I got really excited, which is giving out secondhand children's books. So like thrifting them, you know, getting them from yard sales, collecting them from free piles. I will tell you, like, there are so many used kids books out there that like are just waiting for a home and they're really, really inexpensive. Like just as inexpensive or even less expensive than buying candy. That's how many there are. They're priced to move, you know? And I was like, what a cool idea. You could put out like a basket of them. They could pick what they wanted and you could just keep refilling the basket. And then when someone said, that's what my family does every year, I was like, yes, victory. That's awesome. I will say this too. A lot of times like uh, with small, smaller thrift stores, but also like larger corporate chains, if you're going in to buy several, like, you know, 10, 20 books or whatever, sometimes they'll give you one or two for free. Mm -hmm. Like you said, they're priced to move. Yeah. They're already inexpensive, but they're like, go ahead and get two more. So take home 22 books for the price of 20. Not that I have any personal experience in this department. Um, not kids books, but I thrift a lot of books and I will tell you it's true. Yeah, and like, the bigger chains, they might be, like, for every five books you buy, you get one free. But, like, the smaller places will be, like, oh, you want all those? Hmm, five bucks total. <laughs> so, recommended, recommended, and, uh, like, a great gift. Um, and, you know, there's something that uh, hopefully we'll, they'll get a lot more use out of. Um, some other ideas I just had here were magnets, buttons, or pins. Here's one. Temporary tattoos. I have not... In my entire life, met a child who was not so into temporary tattoos. Like Dylan would have like a full sleeve and facial tattoos for like a month around Halloween because there were so many <laughs> coming it. our way. Yeah. Or like at Christmas and in their stocking and I would just be putting tattoos on Dylan all day. Um, kids oh, love well. those. That's another thing that's like, you know, pretty unwasteful and they'll be excited to receive. Okay. Now that we've talked about candy and all the things you could hand out as treats, uh, we're going to listen to a conversation with Anna, who is a number one Halloween fan and has her own Halloween, if you will. <laughs> so let's let's meet Anna. <laughs> 
Anna, I'm so glad that Maggie and I are talking to you today. Will you reintroduce yourself to everybody? Um, hello, my name is Anna. My pronouns are she, her. Uh, my artistic name is Anna Rabbit. That's because I have I have been volunteering in a rabbit shelter for many years, and I have two rabbits of my own. Um, so yeah, really like rabbits. Um, <laughs> other than that, I'm. <laughs> I know it's completely off topic. Have nothing to do with Halloween. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, I, I'm like, you know, I, I have many interests. Um, so I'm not going to go into the rabbits thing because I'm going to talk forever and everyone is going to be bored. It's it's a long story. Um, other than that, I'm, I have an art degree and uh, mm -hmm. currently I'm getting postgraduate degree in academic painting. So that's my main Ooh. kind of thing that is going on right now. I'm not going to talk about my job because I don't really like it that much. So, <laughs> uh, <Fair>. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, if I could, I would be just painting all day, every day. Um, as for Halloween, well, actually, maybe I should say why I'm uh, a huge fan of Close Horse. I, I'm listening to it pretty much from the beginning, I believe. And uh, I already have been a guest on a podcast before. And thank you so much for inviting me again. Um, it was a very nice surprise and in general, I'm very honored. Um, I'm very much into sustainable fashion. Well, maybe I shouldn't say sustainable fashion. I almost never can afford any sustainable brands, but mm -hmm. I, all of my clothes are secondhand. Like I don't even have, like, sometimes I even buy like socks secondhand, like not underwear. Maybe I don't, I'm not ready to go that far, but like everything else <laughs> pretty much and not just clothes. Also everything for the kitchen, for the house, everything that I own, it's been used by somebody else before pretty much. So I'm a huge fan of that, and uh, that's why I I started to listen to Close Horse, and um, yeah, met you wonderful people. When Maggie and I were sitting down to plan the, this year's Halloween extravaganza, Maggie said, did you know that Anna has a magazine about Halloween? And it was like, wait, what? We have to get Anna <laughs> in this episode. So I thought we'd get started. You know, before we started recording, we talked about how I was saying like, oh, it's really hot here in Austin. I still am not getting the Halloween spirit. I'm having a really hard time. And you mentioned that it's a similar situation where you live. So how do you get yourself in the Halloween spirit when it maybe doesn't feel like Halloween outside? Well, first of all, I have to say that uh, Halloween season is really never over in this household. <laughs> um, every time I'm, I'm, I'm seeing like in a secondhand store some like decor that can be Halloween, I have to decide if it's a Halloween decor or it's like a whole year round decor. <laughs> <laughs> because a lot of it is like it's it overlaps. Okay. And uh, we, we have like a strict rules about this. Pumpkins, like uh, jack-o'-lanterns, are Halloween, mm -hmm. but spiders are all-year decor. Makes so sense. So everything with spider webs are, like, it's it stays. Okay. Like, it doesn't go away. Um, so, yeah, Halloween. Well, honestly, yeah, it's super hot here. I'm also not yet, like, ready to, to be in a mood for Halloween. It's also because I live in Europe. Uh, we don't really have this kind of... Um, a huge following of Halloween here. So there is nothing in stores yet. And it's not going to be until like mid-October. Oh, interesting. Which in general, 
Yeah, in general, I think it's good. I like this part because I, I uh, that is less overconsumption in general because mm-hmm. people care less, so people decorate less, so there is less garbage, I assume. Um, yeah, so basically Halloween here is a very niche thing, mostly for parents of English-speaking children or something like that, you know? Um <laughs> Yeah, so, like, uh, my partner is American, so he actually grew up uh, celebrating Halloween. I did not. I don't have any memories from childhood. That's not a thing where I'm from. Um, And uh, so I only got into it when, basically, as an adult, just we're doing a lot of things for our child um, around here, and we have to organize it all by ourselves. For example, uh, we always organized trick-or-treating like you cannot just go and do it like Mm -hmm. nobody does that right so i have to talk to my neighbors um i even buy candies myself and give them so they give (laughs) back to my child Uh Uh, yeah, we did that with some like businesses, like small businesses that we like, some bars and stuff where we go a lot. Uh, we also like ask them to, to do that for us and some neighbors. And that's how we do trick-or-treating. I love that, though, because for me as a kid, trick-or-treating was like the highlight of the year. Mm. You know, put on a yeah. costume and walk around and get candy at night when you're never allowed to go out and walk around. Like, what a special time, you know? So I'm so <laughs> glad that you put that together. <laughs> yeah it's actually it's super fun to organize too i like i said i never done that as a kid myself so i have like no kind of connection to it personally but i really like to do it for my kid uh for me personally though the best part is for sure costumes mm-hmm. i love to dress up i love to like come up with ideas for costumes and um, so I already started to put together costumes. Thanks to Maggie, uh, I actually not. I'm my approach to costumes is com- com- maybe different from how people usually do that. I try not to buy almost anything. Like mm-hmm. I try to actually uh, put together a costume from stuff I already have. Um, I I okay so elaborate costumes like with uh, lightnings and storms like I've seen on the internet I don't want to do that I want to be comfortable still mm-hmm. also my no no is like no wigs like I cannot do that <laughs> it's too hot yeah. I cannot do that it's so to be, uncomfortable like the character has to have yes the character has to have exact same hairstyle as I already have otherwise I'm not gonna do it um <laughs> I mean, that's good. It probably narrows down the options, you know? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) So you did a consultation with Maggie last year for Halloween, right? Yes. Like, tell me about that. That was, for me, awesome experience. Um, I was thinking about costume completely differently before. I was thinking that I have to either, either, like, make something or buy something, Um. But we actually came up with a solution where I think I only bought one thing, and it was socks with stripes, I Mm, believe. Those are useful. Yeah, and again, all of the things that I used for my costume are just normal clothes. If you put it apart, like, you can use it just for, like, going to work or, Mm -hmm. you know. So it's kind of not... um, not anything that I have to throw away or think about even, like, just put it in the wardrobe and wear it later on. That was one of the things that stuck out to me about that conversation is, like, you know, we have some parameters, right? We don't want to buy anything new. Mm-hmm. We also don't necessarily want to, mm-hmm. like, 
modify or permanently alter or change existing pieces. Yes. So, you know, how how do we get creative with that, you know, with those parameters in mind? Mm-hmm. Um, and the, I mean, I, I don't think you shared, Anna, what the costume was. Um, maybe, maybe you should do that. Uh, I can see it in yeah. my head, like the pieces that we put together. <laughs> Yeah, um, the costume was Sally from uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh! Um, again, because I did have longer and red hair back then, so that was, again, was narrowing down characters that I would even be able to do. And uh, so, yeah, that's what I did. I had already, I actually found a dress in my wardrobe. Again, didn't even think about this dress being for Sally before, but it actually has, it's like a patchwork kind of pattern. It's not real patchwork, like it's printed. Um, but I already had it and I didn't realize that I had it before I actually talked to Maggie. I, I seriously, sometimes I'm just blind about like what I have. Now I feel you <laughs> I on <know>. that. <laughs> Uh, and it was not exactly the same colors as Sally's dress, but it was close enough that was makeup and hair. And I had almost exact, like very similar shoes to what she had. Then I had the socks with stripes and basically I did like very elaborate makeup. And I think that's uh, like one of the cool things that makeup is you just do it one time. Like you don't have to really buy much for it. Well, mm-hmm. unless you don't have any makeup, but I have a lot of makeup. So. <laughs> I didn't need to buy anything, like I had everything. Um, And it was absolutely like everyone knew who I was, like there was no question about what what I was supposed to be. Um, So yeah. That's awesome. Do you know what you're going to be this year? Have you decided yet? Yeah, absolutely, yes. Can you tell us? I actually... I'm going to two parties. Okay. Um, one is for like adults. Not that it's like specifically very adult party. It's like a normal dinner. And uh, another one is with children. Okay. So for and the the one with children is like highly organized by somebody for by, by a friend of mine for children here, and uh, it has a theme. It's a uh, fairy tales. Oh, um, fun! So yeah. many poten- so much potential there for costumes. Yes. So to this one, I'm going as um, a red riding hood. Oh my uh, god. That's one I do a lot because I have a lot of clothes in my wardrobe that are very easily Little Red Riding Hood and it's like so yeah. fun, you know? The same. Yeah. I pretty much have everything for it already. I'm going kind of like roughly remem- resembling um, the Anna Paquin's character in, um, uh, oh my god, Trick or Treat, mm-hmm. the, the mm-hmm. horror movie. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've seen it. Um, so basically, I'm only like a little bit, not really dressing exactly like her, just like her outfit. She's again, like in this movie, she's, um, she is, uh, can I spoil the movie or not? <laughs> Go ahead and spoil it. Like, listen. Okay. I mean, okay. The, it's, then it's going to be spoiler. Yeah, so anyone spoil who have not seen it, just don't <laughs> yeah, listen skip this for part. like a minute. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So in a movie, she is, it's Halloween Eve and she's dressed as a red riding hood, but then it turns out at the end that she is a werewolf herself. Um, so I want to wear like very similar to her outfit because I already have like a kind of medievalish looking uh, black corset and red skirt and almost exactly the same shoes I also have. It's pretty much like a very like like something you would imagine from like roughly medieval costume, okay? And um, 
And what is, and I'm going to have a consequences that I also already have that are just, uh, like bright yellow, like wolf eyes. Ooh. Oh, wow. Yeah. This is, uh, this is going to be great. I'm very excited about this. Like so excited. I love, I love a few things. Like I would just want to, you know, point these out and what you've shared, um, Anna, like Mm -hmm. the, the idea of a costume being recognizable or authentic, like doesn't necessarily have to be an exact replica, right? Like this loose inspiration, Mm -hmm. you know, if you really double down on those unique characteristics, like that's capture the essence of the thing that really Mm -hmm. takes you far, right? Um, Helps people connect with it. I also just want to say, I share your situation (laughs) with wigs. Like I will wear them, um, but always when I'm brainstorming costume ideas, like I start with what Mm -hmm. I have, not just what's in my wardrobe, but like thinking about my physical features, including my hair color and length. Um, this yeah. year's costume was inspired in part by like my hair is as long as it's ever been in my life. I'm like, I'm going to crank up the volume and really lean into that. So I think it's really cool. Um, and as Amanda said too, it kind of, it narrows your options, creates some clarity and focus and um, you know, it's, it's really, it's cool. So I can relate for sure. You know what? Anytime someone talks about wigs at Halloween, what I actually, where my brain goes now, thanks to you, Maggie, is the year you're so committed to <laughs> to delivering the whole concept uh, that you, uh, remember when you're, what you did to your hair for the Raggedy Ann costume? <laughs> oh my gosh. Who, who could forget? Yeah. Who could yeah. forget? I think of that every, you know, I see a lot of. <laughs> raggedy and dolls when I'm out thrifting and I think of you every single time in your hair and when I think <laughs> about wigs because I I hate a wig one uh <laughs> it's hot and it's itchy right but also like I have a huge head and I have a lot of hair so like it doesn't really work anyway and it's just like one more stressful thing and I think always I'm like would I ever go as far as Maggie and I, I won't I won't but <laughs> I think limit, I guess what I'm saying is like, Anna, your strategy of being like, it has to work with my hair is so smart. Yeah. I always do this, do it this way. I also the same thing. Like, um, also I have a huge head, by the way, (laughs) not a lot of hair, but like really like a huge head. Welcome to the huge head. Do you have a big head? I can see you having a big head. I got a pretty big head. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, and that honestly, that's part of the decision to to go all out with the process for my hair that year. It was like, I'm not going to find anything in stores that is just going to hit the mark for me. It needs to be, it needs to be real, you know? Um, Right. Yeah. That said, like I have purchased wigs and I have, I have wigs in my possession now. Like I've rehomed them successfully, which is interesting. Like wigs aren't really something you would think are easy to like, find another use for but um i have like an an auburn brown wavy like mid-length one right now and i'm like one day one of these years right either my partner or i will be able to use it and like incorporate it in a new way but also i'm like what am i doing with this thing still is anyone on the hunt for this kind of wig <laughs> let me know i would love to gift it to you um yeah w- wigs are wigs are a challenge but 
Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I, I'm like jealous of people who like, you know, they're like fabulous people who wear a wig like every day. And I'm, I'm low key jealous, honestly, yeah. because here at the Big Head Express, we can't do that. You know? <laughs> Big Head Express. Yeah. So we haven't had a chance really to talk about the magazine Anna, and that's definitely if we're talking about halloween and we're having a conversation with you we absolutely want to learn about spooky europe so as far as questions just to kind of set the stage i would love to hear you first introduce what is this halloween themed magazine where did your inspiration come from and also where can we find out more like where can we see um see this project unfolding um okay i'm gonna start from the your last question uh, i have a separated instagram account for it it's just spooky europe no dots no underscores just all together um about magazine itself it's uh it it's not like a halloween magazine the first issue was about halloween just because i was uh, it was printed at that time last year Mm -hmm. but in general what i wanted to do i wanted to create kind of like a little um, little space for artists specifically from europe not because i don't like american artists like obviously there is more art and more artists that doing halloween stuff in united states uh i think that's great but you also have conventions and you have magazines as well. By the way, if you ever need to find out about other magazines that are based in the US, I can also uh, tell you about it. I, I have quite a few here. Um, but in Europe, really, it's not a thing. And Halloween originally was from Europe. And personally, I really like art that is a little bit about death or maybe on a little bit on a dark side or maybe on a whimsical but still dark side. All of this appeals to me very much. So I wanted to create a space where you could, where artists could share that. Um, I had such a great artist so far. Uh, Some people were uh, there was some illustrations, there was some dolls, like doll makers. Um, yeah, uh, actually it's such a joy to work with people who are very passionate about what they do and I'm looking for more contributors as well, but also the magazine, I never wanted it to have like a one concept that is set in stone because this is my creative project. I don't really want to make it very commercial. Like I'm not making any money on it. Um, the PDF, I usually just give up for free so people can just download it. Uh, but there is also a printed version if somebody prefers to have that. This is for money, but the cost is the printing cost. So it's like printing on demand. So when you order it, uh, they print it, they sell it, they send it to you. So uh, it's just the cost of the print, basically, and delivery. I don't know if you all know this, uh, but I have the first edition, Halloween-themed yeah. first edition of Spooky Europe. <laughs> in a hard copy, glossy cover format, um, in hand physically right now. And I'm just like, I'm kind of glancing back through, right. I, I think I got it. It was, it was last year, right. It's been a year ago. That was uh, around the same time last year. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the format, first of all, is beautiful. As you mentioned, Anna, obviously there are a variety of diverse artists here. There's like short stories, some of which are fictional, there's like folk tales, definitely the 
the death and the dark theme shines through. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's like a research based article, like kind of almost academic yes. style. I mean, it has it has a little bit of everything for everyone. Um, and I've got to say, when I when we connected for the costume consultation was amazing. But when you told me you were launching this magazine, I was like, <laughs> you know, Amanda has often called me the Halloween queen, right? Which is set set a bit of a standard for my own reputation i'm like yeah (laughs) like i love halloween all year round but anna you you really live this all year round not (laughs) not only in your your home decor which you've shared but like it's a lifestyle it's a movement and when i think about this magazine and what really like is touch my my cold dark black heart um um halloween loving heart was the manifesto uh you know it it is halloween themed of course because the first issue of the magazine is halloween themed but there's a lot more kind of subtext to this message and i thought if you'd like um if you're willing and listeners will appreciate it i'd love to read this manifesto um, especially since, you know, Amanda, we've been talking to folks who are, you know, and it's, it's only recently like the ice has cracked for me. Like I'm starting to get into the spirit, you know, the weather's mm-hmm. changing, but it's been a real struggle for me. And I know it's been a struggle for you, for a lot of folks. And I think it might, it might help, um, might help <laughs> bring folks back to the dark side for this time of year. I agree. Yes, you should definitely read it. Plus, That's going to be as, great. We all know that Maggie has theater kid energy. So, like, the, who better to do the first ever dramatic reading of a manifesto on Close Horse? Yes, I absolutely agree 100%. <laughs> so, it's super brief, but it's also really powerful. Um, so, it, it's entitled Manifesto. This is for Spooky Europe, first edition, the Halloween themed magazine. Halloween belongs to witches. Halloween belongs to artists. Halloween belongs to art collectors. Halloween is not about consumption. It is about joy and creativity and being someone else if only for one day. Halloween is about honoring your death and exploring the unknown. Halloween isn't plastic. Halloween isn't cheap. Halloween doesn't belong to American corporations that seek only to exploit it for their own gain. We reclaim Halloween as everything that is creative, joyful, and unique. Oh my god, I know I wrote this, but I have like literally goosebumps. Me too, me too. This is like incredible. This is so good. I think that this just solidifies so much what we're trying to do with with you know the close horse halloween episodes and just like our community as a whole is you know the theme this year for close horses halloween is putting the we back in halloween and it's really about you know returning halloween to what it really means to us instead of like a shopping holiday or an obligation or just a way to generate more trash you know and this is just so yeah. powerful i mean yeah it goosebumps for sure that's everything it really, I mean, it, it gets to the heart of, I mean, even the podcast itself, right? Like, I, I would 
assume, infer, based on this messaging that we're all probably on the same page about capitalism, you know? Yeah. It's, it yeah. sucks, yeah. and we're forced to navigate that system, but, like, this time of year is kind of an opportunity to really, I don't know, even further rebel and you know, use what you have instead of going to the shops and purchasing things that they're expecting you and counting on you to, to line their pockets with, you know, it's. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot about how capitalism has ruined so many things that are all about like quality time with people and creativity and building memories and I don't know, just connection and has turned it into like, you know, stuff you can buy kind of situation and then stuff that can be trashed because it has to be trashed so you'll buy it all again next year. And I think, for, I mean, people have been talking about the commercialization of Christmas, you know, my entire life. I've been hearing about it, right? But I think it's only recently that we've started to talk about how Halloween has been kind of hyper-commercialized to a point that you wonder where where is the joy now, right? And I really appreciate everyone's commitment to trying to bring that back and forget yeah. about the, sh the commercialization. It's hard. It's really hard. Yes. I also have to say that you, um, you, you need to work much harder to achieve that, in my opinion. Like I mentioned before, in Europe, it's really not that difficult not to overconsume for Halloween. Like nobody has anything. Like stores do not carry anything. I mean, maybe it's different in uh, in different countries. I live in Poland, so in Poland, this is really not a huge holiday. Uh, there is a lot of parties for young people, but uh, but mostly it's about like maybe bars decorate. Um, in a very cute way, usually, but people don't decorate their houses. I don't think mostly. Um, so yeah. And also like I made it a rule that decorations, I never buy, um, new at all. Like everything has to come from a secondhand stores because of that. I don't have a theme. I always have the same theme. The theme is the Halloween. So I just every year I take out the same decor and maybe there is some additional stuff that I bought like through the year kind of and you know put in a box but in general it's all the same things and i think well again i don't want to make people feel bad like may make people feel bad for having theme every year or anything like honestly whatever makes you happy is fine but uh personally i prefer this way it, this way you know the same as christmas just the same decor every year like i rearrange stuff but it's the same things so i'm very I'm very curious. You've, you've amassed this sort of curated collection, right? Some of which stays on display year round, some of which comes yes. out only for, <laughs> for Halloween. I'm curious if you have like a single favorite, I don't know, artifact or element of your decor or even multiple pieces that are like, you'll, you never get tired of seeing. You're just so excited to be, bring um. them out. Yes. One of them, I have to say, I couldn't put like in a box. 
last year so it was out and still is out right now it is definitely halloween and it like and i was called out in households for not putting this one away. <laughs> but it, it's just so cool i couldn't but next year i am planning to i'm, I'm gonna be strong and i'm gonna put it away okay after this halloween um so it's a doll that i made myself uh, i'm absolutely shocked i'm not very good at making dolls i've made a few but uh but it's not something i'm very good at or like trained to do but this one doll i swear to god it it almost like some spirit was like moving my hands it turned out so good i can't believe it um and this one i it, it's again it's from the same horror movie i mentioned before mm -hmm. trick or treat this this horror really has a lot of following i think because it's it has like a very unique kind of I don't know you haven't seen it right I haven't but in like I don't usually see horror movies because I get too scared um, uh, honestly you might be okay with this you think one so? that is yes there is a little bit of scary things there and a little bit of graphic violence but it's mostly just like a little bit even absurd and even funny in some places so you might be okay oh I'm adding it to my list I'm gonna watch it probably this weekend I'm excited now. <laughs> I really like it. I mean, honestly, like, I'm also not a big fan of uh, very scary movies, but this one, I think it's okay, like, for for most people. I still didn't watch it with my child, though. It's definitely not, like, children-friendly. Okay, friendly. good to know. Good to know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is a character from this movie. It's, uh, uh, it's this little creature that goes around the town. Again, maybe it's a spoiler. <laughs> I don't know. But basically, the, the, the whole movie is um, there is some rules of Halloween that people are breaking and then they're being punished by this little like spirit of Halloween and this uh, his name is Sam and him I made as a toy um in a in a movie I think it's a child in a costume I would imagine <laughs> uh, I'm not sure we never see well we see the face but it's like a horror face not like a real person face <laughs> but I think it's a small child in a costume okay basically now I want yeah, to see I, a photo of this this amazing doll creepy doll I'll send you a photo today, okay, like on Instagram. Awesome. Absolutely. Anna, do you have any other advice or final words about Halloween and uh, why it's important to you? Um, honestly, why is it, is it important for me? Well, I just, honestly, I just really like uh, this idea that was, I think, original idea behind, behind uh, Halloween that you you get to kind of like get a little bit more comfortable with the topic of death and also in a very fun way think about people who already died instead of being just sad which of course is also totally allowed but um but i think it's i think it's in general in um in a modern society people are a little bit afraid like death is like a huge taboo and People don't talk about it. People don't think about it. Everything connected to death is somehow like very, not even scary, but unknown. Like it's almost like you cannot talk about it at all without assuming that other people are going to be uncomfortable. And I think originally Halloween was about that, about just kind of thinking that spirits and maybe souls of dead people or other creatures might be for that, for that one night. Uh, among us and we all dress up such that you can't tell who is a ghost and who is a real human and we all kind of party together and I think that's that's very important I really I think 
embracing like topic of death, not in necessarily in a sad way, although that's totally fine as well, but also like in a kind of celebratory way, um, it's just more healthy. It's healthier for your mental health, I think. It makes it less of a taboo and more just part of life because that's all the death is. It's just part of life. Yeah, so true. That's really beautiful too, actually. And it goes back to the origins <laughs> of Halloween because even, you know, a lot of my feelings about Halloween come from my childhood and they're really more about costumes and crafts and candy. Even I haven't grown up with like the real, the real like, the real origins of Halloween, the true meaning of it. So I love that. That's cool yeah. to have that bit of yeah. historical insight. Like, you know, spoiler alert, Americans, we didn't, you know, it was not ours to start with. Um, I <laughs> yeah, also, seriously. I like the reframing around thinking about death as a celebration, too. Um, if anyone is uh, on my newsletter subscriber list, you know, I've been talking a lot about mortality lately um, and just like confronting that truth about the human experience. So thank you for sharing that, Anna, that again, warms my, my little black heart over here. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad to hear yeah, that. Yeah. Thank you so much, Anna. It was so fun to talk to you today. Thank you for inviting me that I'm, I'm very happy always to chat with you. I just want to say thank you. A shout out to Anna, number one, for the history lesson on Halloween. Mm -hmm. That was super cool. But also for the recommendation for the 2009 hit movie Trick or Treat. Uh, I watched it. I actually streamed it a couple weeks ago and loved it. Um, and her description was apt. It was not, not too scary, not too gory. Definitely absurd and borderline <laughs> comedic in parts. So if you're looking for a recommendation, Anna's got you with Trick or Treat, released in 2009. So the other Halloween quandary that many people in our community are facing, which even I, when we first started talking about this, Maggie, I was like, I don't know. I don't have any answers, <laughs> was Halloween makeup. Because we know that the Halloween makeup that they sell at you know, spirit of or not of Halloween um, and Party City and, you know, at Walgreens and everywhere else is like, if you've ever had to use it, to be really blunt, it sucks. And it comes in a plastic container and uh, you have to keep putting it on and on and on and it still doesn't stick around. And uh, it's really itchy and it might make you break out. And unfortunately, like a lot of costumes do require makeup to pull them all together. So Maggie, I know you went down a rabbit hole of trying to figure out a better makeup option. Yeah. So, so there are, I mean, probably the easiest to access is like, just remind yourself if you have everyday makeup items, right? Like foundation and blush and lipstick and eyeshadow and eyeliner, all of those things are still valid for Halloween, right? But maybe you use the black eyeliner as your lipstick, or maybe you like experiment with different eyeshadows to create mm -hmm. different kind of looks. Um, but you don't have to get something that's Halloween specific or costume specific. Certainly not that crappy stuff at Halloween stores. It's the worst. Have you ever tried to use that? I'm sure you have, right? Yes. And it, you know, you, 
I have tried really hard to like store it and reuse it and it does not hold up well. Um, like once moisture gets to it or like uh-huh, lack yeah. of moisture, I guess it just, it does not hold up well, no matter how you store it. Yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting. I know you included this resource in our notes, the, like what's, what is in that Halloween store <laughs> makeup? Um, yeah. like, it's like creepy adhesives and waxes and oils like artificial dyes and fragrances of course alcohol like what if you could avoid all that we're here to tell you that you can um Mm -hmm. one of my one of my favorite kind of aesthetics for halloween um but also like horror movie genres are zombies okay so like (laughs) you know creating um the illusion of wounds or like torn skin like those kinds of like textural effects, special effects that often, um, like if you went to a Halloween store, you're going to see like latex kits and things like that. You can Mm -hmm. actually recreate that same concept at home using like really super simple household items, like flour, for example, water, cornstarch and toilet paper. Um, it's sort of like, like a paper mache facial concept. Um, I love this. You had me at paper mache. I was like, yeah, Ooh. yeah. So I figured you'd appreciate that. So you can, you know, you can make it as intense and detailed as you want, but basically you create a paste with the flour, water, cornstarch, just like you would with paper mache. You can use toilet paper, tissues, maybe tissue paper. Um, that that might be a little too rigid. So I'd say stick with TP and tissues. But you can literally like pull off strips, dip it in the the paste solution, and then form it on your face. Like if you let it dry, then you can coat it. You can cover it with makeup, um, including fake blood, which I've got a solution. You don't have to buy the pre-made stuff. You can make fake blood at home. Um, so that's one thing I, I had to suggest, um, sort of along those lines too. Like, um, I did some research, like activated charcoal came up as an ingredient Mm. for like DIY, make your own makeup. Um, one year, I think this was two years ago. I did like a zombie prom queen, living dead girl kind of costume. And I used just regular everyday makeup to create the, the look of undeadness. Um, I was like, it's not quite gross enough, not quite gory <laughs> enough. So my idea was to take one of my, it's a, like a toothpaste tab, right? <laughs> Speaking of zero waste, um, home products, right? Mm-hmm. An activated charcoal toothpaste tablet. And I chewed it up and like took photos of it, like falling out of my mouth like this really gross dark black drool um very cool effect if you're into that kind of thing so one thing to be aware of about activated charcoal and i was not able to find like like a peer-reviewed medical journal resource on this but there is some talk about it on the web so i would say do some research um activated charcoal could interact with certain medications including birth control contraceptive Mm -hmm. so just make sure you do some research um before you consume consume it or even put it on your skin um i mentioned everyday makeup already so get creative like lipstick doesn't have to be a lipstick it can also be a face paint right just 
totally. um, kind of look at things in different ways. So for my my upcoming Styloween con- content series, one of the things I landed on, like I've I've used eyeshadow as contour before, but like specifically for that undead like skeleton looking kind of vibe, I started to notice that like. If I apply dark eyeshadow, like black, literally black eyeshadow, in the same spaces where I would put like everyday contour, including like, you know, the sides of the bridge of your nose and like cheekbones, yeah. it totally, totally transforms the look of your face. And it's pretty, pretty cool. Um, eyeliner, of course, as an everyday makeup product, like, Instead of just using it on your eyes, you can use it on your face to create shapes like tears and stars and hearts and freckles and whatever your your mind can dream up. Um, you can actually make your own eyeliner as well, again, with activated charcoal. Um, I would recommend you could actually mix it with your like your regular everyday facial moisturizer or a natural product like coconut oil, which would also smell really nice um more on activated charcoal if you wanted to do face paint um obviously not black face paint um yeah goes without saying here everyone yeah of course um you can mix it with shea butter Uh, bentonite clay is another ingredient that when i was doing research it was like yeah this is a regular household item I don't think I've ever had bentonite clay in the house. Not sure where I would know, like how, how or where to source it. Um, but arrowroot flour, uh, or arrowroot powder is kind of a common, um, like cooking ingredient that you might use, which you can mix with olive oil. Um, if you add like a little bit of freeze dried raspberry or strawberry, you could get like a red fake blood effect, which then you could use as fake blood and your your fake zombie wounds that you created out of toilet paper and cornstarch, like paper mache style. Um, bentonite clay, if you do decide that you want to make your own makeup, just be aware that, and there are, there are articles to support this, but it's a little bit dangerous to mix it with metal. So, Oh, interesting. Um, I don't remember like the scientific explanation or the details there, but just be really careful. So like whatever tool you're using to mix it, just make sure that's like it's plastic or wood and the container, it's either glass or plastic or wood versus something metal. Um, so alternatives, right? Like toothpicks, popsicle sticks, chopsticks, those would all work really well to stir. Um, like a regular makeup brush would not because it's got that. Usually they have those metal bands between the bristles and the handle. Um, similar ingredients, you can kind of play with different spices to get different colors and tones. So cinnamon, for example, nutmeg, cacao powder. If you mix those with your regular everyday moisturizer or coconut oil, that can be kind of interesting, get you like those sepia, like antiqued, um, toasty kind of hues. Uh, obviously if you're, if you're not into creating your own makeup, you don't want to buy anything. You could totally swap or borrow makeup from your friends or family or community members. Like, 
you know, make a, make a thing of it. Like we were talking about costumes, you know, creating an event kind of around it. Um, bring your own makeup, you know, have a, mm-hmm. have a makeup swapping party or something like that. Yeah. I think that's um, a great idea. Yeah. Cause it, you know, it gets, gets other people involved, lets you kind of enables you to create a little bit of community around it. And not everyone wears makeup. Maybe you're mm-hmm. one of those people who doesn't have makeup at home, but chances are, you know, someone that has some products, even if they're 10 years old, like they're, they're somewhere. Um, and you could probably make use of them. Although just be forewarned, makeup does expire. So just be careful about that. Also in this research, I mean, since we're talking about scary facts, um, so I, I looked up what was, what were the ingredients in like the Halloween store makeup, but I also dun, wanted dun, to dun. know, yeah, I also wanted to know about like everyday products. Uh-huh. Like typically, you know, I, I shop vegan skincare as much as I can, certainly no animal testing or animal cruelty. Um, but I was, I was very surprised to find that like a lot of common, um, like commercial brands and products have a lot of weird shit in them. (laughs) Um, just as an example, and maybe we can include this resource from PETA in the show notes, but like lipstick, for example, is sometimes made with crushed beetles what ew shark liver and or uh, freaking weird um yeah lot, lots of other weird ingredients um horrible <laughs> if you're interested in that you can you can dig into that a little bit more um this isn't as much of like i don't know it's not scary as weird uh, but something to consider with like everyday kind of makeup products, eyelash glue is like so versatile. Oh, it's so you good. Know? Yeah. You can attach accoutrement and accessories to your physical hair, like mm-hmm. um, fallen leaves or trinkets or whatever look you're going for. You can use it in the hair on your head. You can also use it elsewhere on your face and body. Um, it's usually non-toxic. It's easy to like peel off and it has a flexible hold. So it's not, um, it's not as, uh, let's say permanent as like super glue or something. I would definitely mm-hmm. not recommend super Do, glue. No super glue, please everyone. No, yeah. no super glue. So yeah. Um, I generally have at least one tube on hand. I never know. Right. Like, uh-huh. You glue your shoe back together with eyelash glue if you need it to. But, <laughs> it um, is like I used to, uh, if it was like a special, like at New Year's Eve or something, I would use it to glue, like kind of make a mask for my face out of gems or like big, uh, like gold stars, just like forming a mask around my eyes and my nose. Like the shape of like, you know, like your standard Hamburglar style mask, but like with gluing stuff to my face. And what's great is that it would stay all night. I have really sensitive skin and it never bothered me. And then I could come home and very easily take it off, clean this, clean whatever it was that I glued on my face and reuse them. Um, Mm -hmm. So it wasn't wasteful. And like, you know, the glue would come off my face very simply with just like a little bit of like face wash and water. It was like no big deal. As you were talking about 
Oh my god, like gemstones and like creating a mask. I just had this another core memory unlocked. I used eyelash glue to test drive a piercing in wow. high school before making the I like this. So maybe maybe your costume has piercings mm -hmm. or like you want to go as a punk rocker or something, but like you're you're not prepared to go <laughs> all the way with right. the commitment. You can totally glue like beads or rings or metal findings on your face safely. Yeah, that's a glue. great idea. Yeah, eyelash glue. Every household should have one. <laughs> you just never know. <laughs> Um, actually I, you unlocked memory for me about back when my nose ring had the captive ball. Now I don't have that kind. I have one that just like, you know, squeezes together. Um, I lost the ball and it was like, I was very nervous that my nose ring was going to come out. So I tightened it up as much as possible. And then I filled in the little gap in the hoop with eyelash glue for like three days. I was on vacation and you know what? Totally fine. Never fell out. So there's another, there's another one. I yeah. Love that. You know, works. I think it's what they call MacGyvering the situation. <laughs> I think MacGyver always used duct tape. I'm like, oh, the eyelash glue will do it. It'll be fine. If you're enjoying this episode, then this is a great time to remind you that my work here at Close Horse is made possible by the support of listeners like you, just like NPR, and these great small businesses. Please go give them your support. Blank Cass, or Blanket Coats by Cass, is focused on restoring, renewing, and reviving the history held within vintage and heirloom textiles. By embodying the love, craft, and energy that is original to each vintage textile as I transfer it into a new garment, I hope we can reteach ourselves to care for and mend what we have and make it last. Blank Cass lives on Instagram at blank underscore Cass, and a website will be launched soon at blankcass.com. Located in Whistler, Canada, Velvet Underground is a velvet jungle full of vintage and secondhand clothing, plants, a vegan cafe, and lots of rad products from other small sustainable businesses. Our mission is to create a brand and community dedicated to promoting self-expression, as well as educating and inspiring a more sustainable and conscious lifestyle, both for the people and the planet. Find us on Instagram at shop underscore velvet underground or online at www.shopvelvetunderground.com. St. Evans is a New York City-based vintage shop that is dedicated to bringing you those special pieces you'll reach for again and again. More than just a store, St. Evans is dedicated to sharing the stories and history behind the garments. 10% of all sales are donated to a different charitable organization each month. New Vintage is released every Thursday at wearstevens.com with previews of new pieces and more brought to you on Instagram at where underscore st dot evens. That's where St. Evans. 
Country Feedback is a mom-and-pop record shop in Tarboro, North Carolina. They specialize in used rock, country, and soul, and offer affordable vintage clothing and housewares. Do you have used records you want to sell? Country Feedback wants to buy them. Find us on Instagram at Country Feedback Vintage and Vinyl, or head down east and visit our brick and mortar. All are welcome at this inclusive and family-friendly record shop in the country. Republica Unicornia Yarns, handmade yarn and notions for the color obsessed, made with love and some swearing in fabulous Atlanta, Georgia by head yarn wench Kathleen. Get ready for rainbows with a side of giving a damn. Republica Unicornia is all about making your own magic using small batch, responsibly sourced, hand-dyed yarns, and thoughtfully made notions. Slow fashion all the way down and discover the joy of creating your very own beautiful hand-knit, crocheted, or woven pieces. Find us on Instagram at Republica underscore Unicornia underscore yarns and at www.republicaunicornia.com. Picnicware, a slow fashion brand ethically made by hand from vintage and dead stock materials, most notably vintage towels. Founder Danny has worked in the industry as a fashion designer for over 10 years, but started Picnicware in response to her dissatisfaction with the industry's shortcomings. Picnicware recently moved to rural North Carolina, where all their sewing and accessories are now designed and cut, but the majority of their sewing is done by skilled garment workers in New York City. Their customers take comfort in knowing that all their sewists are paid well above New York City minimum wage. Picnicware offers minimal waste and maximum authenticity. Future vintage over future garbage. Cute Little Ruin is an online shop dedicated to providing quality vintage and secondhand clothing, vinyl, and home items in a wide range of styles and price points. If it's ethical and legal, we try to find a home for it. Vintage style with progressive values. Find us on Instagram at Cute Little Ruin. Is there a little bit of Italy in your soul? Are you an enthusiast of pre-loved decor and accessories? Bring vintage Italian style and history into your space with the pewter thimble. We source useful and beautiful things and mend them where needed. We also find gorgeous illustrations and make them print-worthy. Tarot cards, tea towels, and hand-picked treasures available to you from the comfort of your own home. Responsibly sourced from across Rome, lovingly renewed by fairly paid artists and artisans, with something for every budget. Discover more at thepewterthimble.com. Deco Denim is a startup based out of San Francisco, and it sells clothing and accessories that are sustainable, gender fluid, size inclusive, and high quality, made to last for years to come. Deco Denim is trying to change the way you think about buying clothes. Founder Sarah Mattis wants to empower people to ask important questions like, where was this made? Was this garment made ethically? Is this fabric made of plastic? Can this garment be upcycled? And if not, can it be recycled? Sign up at decodenim.com to receive $20 off your first purchase. They promise not to spam you and send out no more than three emails a month, with two of them surrounding education or a personal note from the founder. Again, that's decodenim.com.
Okay. So something you and I talked about, Maggie, um, just thinking about people involved in Halloween. And, you know, I can tell you already that the people who work in the stores selling all the Halloween costumes, you know, they're, they're underpaid. They don't get benefits. Their jobs are temporary. It sucks. But another group of people working within the Halloween industry that you might not think about are the people working in the haunted house industry. And Maggie, I got to tell you, I I feel like haunted houses are really huge here in Texas in a way that they aren't. I mean, they're, you know, they're a thing everywhere, but there are so many haunted houses in Texas right now, like in strip malls and stuff like that. It's really weird. <laughs> like I noticed so many of them this weekend. Now, obviously, I'm not going to go to a haunted house because I'm a ninny. I can't handle it. Do you like them, Maggie? I do sometimes. Um, I feel like the older I get, the less of an appetite I have for that kind of entertainment. Um, but it's too much. I definitely really liked them as a teenager and in my 20s. Like I would go pretty often to different ones. Um, I don't. I don't feel like the concept is like super popular here in the Northwest. Like we have, we have a lot of haunted experiences, right? Like, um, Mm -hmm. parties and performances and things like that. But like actual facilities, um, there are a few that I can think of offhand. Um, and usually they're like, the line is so long and the tickets get sold out so quickly. Like the Georgetown morgue, for example, is one. And we've tried to go a couple of times and just did not, it didn't work out. Um, the line was too long. We didn't make it in time, that kind of thing. But they like haunted houses, haunted experiences is like that whole idea is an industry unto itself. So if we're talking like big Halloween as the umbrella, right? We've got big candy of course and like the freaking yeah (laughs) like the the plastic costume industrial complex all of that one of the pillars under that umbrella is definitely this haunted experience concept um okay for example like it's it brings in about 300 million dollars a year this industry like not all of halloween just this segment of it um, there's also, mm-hmm. I thought this was, this was cute and kind of nerdy. Um, you know, just as a professional and small business owner discovering that there was an, a haunted attraction association, like professional organization Ooh. of people who work <laughs> in this specific industry. Um, as of, I think it's 2021 i don't know if we have any data that's more recent than that but as of 2021 there are about 1200 haunted houses and facilities in active operation in the united states um, that charge admission right uh which is i mean Mm -hmm. maybe a significant fraction of those are in texas Uh, i don't know but Um, what else can I tell you? Yeah, it's, it's a big business in other words, right? There's a lot of, um, yeah. I guess capitalistic influences here. Um, of course, since the pandemic, things have changed a little bit. Uh, I don't have the figure of like how many haunted experiences existed prior to 2019 when COVID was introduced. Um, but the industry like 
the restaurant industry and other, um, you know, sort of like public engagement industries, like it's suffering, right? So it's like, it's, it's innovating. Mm-hmm. It's trying to do new and different things to, you know, to create more excitement and buzz and ultimately make, make a bigger profit. So this probably won't surprise you all. Uh, one of the, like the new and emerging trends is like, incorporating virtual and augmented reality which i don't know i have i have thoughts and feelings about like ai in general but like the classic haunted house experience to me i don't know like this might sound terrible but like i feel like the augmented reality piece and like digitizing things is a little bit of like it's kind of cheating i don't know a lot of the haunted houses that i have been passing are are you know advertising that there is this virtual reality mm-hmm. component um and i do think it's like i don't know you know we watched some classic star trek the other night which means like a totally pre cgi era in every possible way and we were like wow like i mean there are plenty of problems with classic star trek i could talk all day but it was like wow what people could accomplish without having like technology um it almost connects with you more like i more viscerally on an emotional level i guess um and like i can't imagine i mean i somehow would totally be very frightened by a vr mm-hmm. haunted house experience but but like it just feels like it wouldn't be i don't know fear really relies on like re- uh, a belief you have your suspension of disbelief i guess and i don't know if you could get that in a vr situation i don't know it's depressing so it's interesting that you say that. And I, I might even take back what I've said about like the cheating thing. I don't know. Cause we're, you know, we're talking about waste and reducing waste. It mm-hmm. makes me think of, um, the past couple of years for the 4th of July here in like the Seattle suburbs, they've been doing a digital like drone experience oh, versus like yeah. physical fireworks yeah and of course there's a lot of controversy and you know people have mixed feelings about it um but generally speaking like yeah if anything like digital is less less wasteful so maybe you don't have like the brick and mortar physical components uh, but that's a good thing <laughs> that's a good thing so i don't know about like the um, the intensity of scare and impact, you know, as far as that goes, I haven't had a haunted house experience with, with AI involved, but there are some pretty cool things you can do with lighting and special Mm -hmm. effects. So yeah, I I take back what I said, like it's a different experience. The, the industry is evolving, um, potentially for the better, especially if that means that there's less waste. Um, but the other thing that we're starting to see is like they're starting to incorporate more kind of escape room concepts and experiences like um, venues and facilities that host escape rooms or haunted houses usually will like add the other part as like an add-on like come to the haunted house and add the escape room component for an extra whatever um, again it's they're, they're just trying to make more money. Um, yeah. Trying to recover from the pandemic. Yeah, Um, definitely. So you, you mentioned like that, that scare factor and 
just different special effects having a different impact like will ai and augmented reality have that same effect i think it will um but it also leads me to think about like why do we like this kind of shit in the first place well i you don't know? i'm you just don't. saying <laughs> right right so for, for the people who do um something that's really fascinating to me and just like reading about any kind of psychological principles and human behavior like the psychology of fear is really really interesting um it's not necessarily that we as humans crave and have the desire to be afraid but like with the haunted house experience it's kind of controlled fear there's a bit of anticipation and expectation but there's also community and connection with other people like I don't think I've ever met a person who goes to a haunted house experience alone, right? You're usually mm-hmm. with friends or... I mean, you know, I would like, say going to one alone, I have questions for you. Please reach out. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's that's really scary. It's a, a whole different yeah, level of scary. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, but there is an appeal, like I said, that, that kind of controlled environment where you're with your friends. So there is an element of safety that's ever present among the the fearful elements so like i said it's it's not necessarily the attraction to to fear but like going with a group of friends and getting scared and huddling together and like you know that that is a whole thing um as far as like biologically the chemicals that your brain dumps in a fearful situation can be gratifying even addicting like you know we know people out there are thrill seekers right like Mm -hmm. people who like roller coasters for example are probably folks who also like haunted houses and it's it's for a similar reason like adrenaline and cortisol you know you get a a bit of a a buzz from the whole thing like literally and metaphorically so um one thing I'll say, and I, I know I can't remember the word you used to describe yourself, Amanda. I'm a ninny. A ninny. <laughs> so here, like, uh, no judgment and no criticism. It's not for everyone, mm-hmm. uh, but in particular, these kinds of experiences might be is exceptionally challenging for survivors of trauma. Um, and I'll, I'll say, maybe I'm an exception because. I've certainly experienced abuse and trauma through childhood and, you know, growing up. Um, and yet there is still part of me. Maybe it's like the degree of familiarity. I'm like, yeah, you know, um, this can't be as bad as something else I've experienced in the past or like that controlled fear with the safety component. I, I do kind of enjoy it. Um, I like scary movies, you know, um, but like I said, especially for survivors of trauma, these, these kinds of things are very sensitive. So be careful, you know, if you are among friends or you're, you're planning an outing to one of these types of experiences, like just be mindful, um, for obvious reasons, right? Be careful. You don't want to risk re-traumatization. Absolutely. You know, I will tell you that I felt deeply ashamed of how 
how little tolerance I have for scary movies, scary situations for a really long time. I was like, man, if you weren't such a ninny and you were tougher, you'd be cooler and people would like you more and then you wouldn't be phased by these things. And I feel really lucky that we have reached a point collectively where we can say like, hey, sorry, I have experienced enough real life trauma. I don't need to go do it for fun, right? Like it just doesn't work for me and there's no shame in it. You know, like you can just say it's not for me and nobody's like, what are you like a baby? Like, no. And if they are, then, you know, maybe you can send them some articles to read because you're not. Um, I will tell you, Maggie, I did one time for one day only work in a haunted house. <laughs> it was really scary. <laughs> you worked there, Well, huh? okay. So it wasn't a haunted house. It was more of a haunted woods, which I think is what made it even scarier. So Okay. My high school, you were required to do a certain number of hours of volunteer work every year. And most of the volunteer work I did was either with, like, kids, because I love, like, you know, doing, like, after-school programs and stuff like that. I still love that kind of thing. Or with animals. Obviously, y'all know I'm mm -hmm. a cat person. So any animals I can be around are great, too. But this opportunity came up where we could volunteer to work at this uh, – haunted woods that was in the state park so it's a huge space it's very dark at night don't that's a really important part of the story uh and uh you could get some hours towards like volunteering at this haunted house that was a fundraiser for for something it was run by like the lions club or something like that and in my mind maybe like the volunteer job would be i would just like collect tickets or something in a well-lit safe part of the whole thing and my friends were like let's do it let's do it and i'm like okay well maybe i can sell water or something <laughs> maybe it'll be like totally fine because i was like i don't think i want to be running around the state park at night in the dark where people are screaming the whole time. This sounds horrible to me. So they told us, come in a costume. Now, I guess what was not communicated well is that you should come in a scary costume, right? Something appropriate <laughs> for Haunted Woods. Well, I don't have any scary costumes because that's not my way. So all mm -hmm. I had was a, like, dance costume from a dance recital. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I basically show up in, like, a tutu, right? And... The person who's, like, organizing the volunteers is like, um, yeah, I don't know. Could you, like, put some blood on your face or something? So one of my friends <laughs> is, like, smearing that fake blood all over my face. And I'm still like, oh, surely this is going to be more of an administrative role that I'm going to be oh having at these haunted woods. But no, it was that we had to go out in the dark woods and scare people who were walking through. Oh, my and this is i'm a failure at this as you probably saw coming and so i would like run up to people and be like sorry i'm scaring you <laughs> or like laughing i couldn't stop laughing <laughs> you know <laughs> and uh i mean no you know they didn't fire me from my volunteer job like i said it was one night only but it culminated in me like somehow being alone in the woods because nobody wanted to be bad near the person who's like really bad at scaring people obviously oh, no. And so I just was, like, sitting by a tree feeling really scared for a long time. And then I was like, it probably is about time for this to be over. So I just followed the screams um, and ended up at, like, a French fry stand where I just sort of, like, casually hung out until it was time. To go oh, home. no.
Um, yeah, so that was my only time. Don't hire me for your haunted house or your haunted woods. Um, and I think I'm still just like, wow, they just let a bunch of teenagers go out there and like do whatever. <laughs> so this is interesting. Like a, an insider, like behind the scenes anecdote from like the haunted experience industry. That's got me thinking of one of my very first jobs out of college was at a local, like small town daily newspaper. And there are a few Mm -hmm. like um, haunted experiences, like haunted houses and things like that in the area. And I, one of my assignments was to go and do research on this one that was like, I think similar to what you're describing, like, there was a nonprofit component and like all proceeds went Mm -hmm. to charity or whatever. Um, And I got to go and interview the organizer and I got to see the experience like all lit up, like work in progress style, which was so disorienting. Like it was just really, it looks totally different, obviously uh, when it's not dark, but it's got me thinking about like one thing I did not come across in research is any data about like those inner workings like the materials and like the props and Mm -hmm. stuff that they use where do they come from where do they go do they get reused right like you'll see these kind of pop-up things happening not unlike spirit halloween right where it's like they'll take over an entire abandoned warehouse space or like a ghosted mall or whatever um but Yeah, I would be very curious. So if anyone in the audience has worked for a haunted house or been a part of the haunted attraction industry at all, I would love to know. I'm sure you would too, Amanda. Like, let's talk about the the inner workings. Like, what are the facts? (laughs) You know, what is the what's the rate of waste and how are things changing if they are? But yeah, that's that's still a mystery to me. I mean, I think that the haunted experience industry really does operate under a veil of mystery Um, because I did not, I wanted to know like, what's it like to work there other than my one time I worked in the woods, you know, and I just couldn't find a lot of information, but I would assume that, you know, there aren't, they aren't good paying jobs. They're temporary. They probably don't offer benefits. They could be, depending on the situation, kind of dangerous. Like, I feel like people probably accidentally get hit or kicked all the time who were working at these, especially in the environments where they touch you, where they touch the people who come in. That's like a nightmare to me being grabbed or something. I would be like ripping hair out, kicking, you know, all that stuff. Um, But I couldn't find a lot about that. I do think that a lot of these experiences are, you know, they recur every year. So they probably are packing up a lot of that stuff. I want to believe that. I mean, like we said, that was the one redeeming quality of Spirit Halloween is that they, whatever they don't sell, they just bring it out again next year, which I can appreciate. Um, But yeah, I, I don't know. They, we need someone to do a hard-hitting expose on this industry so we can know more. Yeah, what it, what's the underbelly of it? Like, show us. Um, show Anna. us. We need to know. I'd also, if you don't want to write something, maybe it's just a documentary, I'd also be down to watch that as long as it's not too scary. Yeah, any, yeah. any recommendations or resources you can share with us, uh, that would be awesome. Because it's, yeah, it's really, like, tight-lipped and under wraps. Um, probably intentionally, yeah. but... That's what people I think. deserve to know. <laughs> we need to know. We need to know. 
Okay, Maggie, do you think that we did in fact save Halloween? Where are your thoughts on this? I feel like we did, we've done pretty well, right? Um, I also just really appreciate that, you know, for the past few years, this has been part of your mission. I'm grateful to be part of the conversation. Um, yeah, I, I think we've come through on our mission. And as far as like final thoughts, just be, be mindful, right? Um, if there's mm-hmm, any question mm-hmm. about yeah. like your costume, for example, is someone going to be offended by this? Like if you, to play it safe, I would say choose another costume, right? Um, that's just really not a risk worth taking at this point. Um, also, yeah, be, be creative. I agree. Uh, as we've established through this episode too, the two part episode, Halloween is not just for kids. Halloween is not ageist, for example, right? Um, it's for everyone. And yeah, I think that each of us has an opportunity to celebrate it and embrace it in our own way. And if you're listening to the show, you obviously have some connection to Halloween, in which case you're in good company. And I see you and appreciate you. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. And I'll tell you, Maggie, I received a message this week that said, you know what? You two got me really excited for Halloween and I haven't been in a long time. And I'm glad that you reminded me that it's for everyone of all ages. And that warmed my heart so much because, you know, holidays exist for a lot of reasons, right? And all of them, for the most part, have originated with cultural touchstones, whether it's like it's time to harvest or something else related to like the moon or nature as a whole. Also, a lot of these holidays originated as spiritual beliefs, right? But one thing that all holidays have in common is that they they remind us to have special times with the people in our lives. And I think that's why, I mean, I kind of love all holidays. Halloween's still my favorite because we all work a lot. We've got a lot going on. There are times where it's just really hard to take a moment for yourself or to just sit down and do something creative and fun or make memories with the people you love. It's really hard sometimes to do that. And what I appreciate about holidays is it gives us that opportunity and maybe even forces us a little bit. Um, And Halloween is no exception. Like this is a great time to do something creative, to laugh until you almost pee your pants, to make something that you didn't know you knew how to make, or to just have a really good time laughing and doing something fun with the people you care about. That's 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 what I want Halloween to be for everybody. Hell yeah. Well, thank you, Maggie, for this a very long journey. Um, all of you who are listening have no idea how much time and work Maggie has put into this. We have had so many recording sessions with all of our fabulous guests. And thank you to all of them for taking the time to talk to us because I learned so much from every single person we talked to. And actually, I got more excited about Halloween with every conversation we had. So thank you to Maggie for taking all that time and doing the research and trying to find out the dark underbelly of haunted houses, among many other things. I really appreciate you, Maggie. And I'm really glad that you've been my partner for this this production. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And I'm so glad to hear that you're you're in more of the Halloween spirit. I'm excited to see what plans unfold for you. And I <laughs> cannot wait 
to hear how listeners feel about this episode and the things that we've shared this year. So, Yes, thank you, everyone. Send your ideas, your thoughts. Uh, don't yell at me about the needle thing with children. I already know. Um, but <laughs> we'll look forward to hearing from all of you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Closed Horse, written, researched, edited, all the things by me, Amanda Lee McCarty. If you like what you're hearing, please leave a rating and a review maybe on Apple Podcasts, but most importantly, tell your friends. If you have some thoughts, ideas, cute cat photos, what have you, send them my way at amanda at closedhorse.world. If you'd like to support my work financially, you can learn more at patreon.com slash podcast. Or you can check out my profile on Instagram, which includes some other links. You can also consider the Apple Premium subscription, which for just a few dollars every month gives you access to the full Close Horse archives, but most importantly, gives you an opportunity to support my work here. Thanks, as always, to my other half, Dustin Travis White, who will surely be adding scary sounds to this episode up until midnight tonight. (laughs) Thank you to everyone. And I'll talk to you all next week. Bye.